Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of June 1st, 2023, including rumors begin swirling about Sony buying CD Projekt, Last week's PlayStation event proved that Xbox aren't the only gaming brand struggling to get new games out the door. Xbox teases Fable for their upcoming game showcase and more. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2004, 19 years ago, Full Spectrum Warrior released on the original Xbox in the US. Full Spectrum Warrior, developed by Pandemic, one of the great late developers of our time, um, behind games such as The Saboteur, Lord of the Rings Conquest, The Mercenaries games, the old Star Wars Battlefront games that everyone unanimously loves, not just that some people love or hate. Uh, Let's see, uh, Destroy All Humans, many, many games. One of the great developers, and then EA was like, hey, you know it would be fucking stupid if we uh, shut down Pandemic and then, I don't know, what's a bad game uh, EA made recently? I don't know. I don't hate EA as much as other people do. I just uh, I do hate that they shut down Pandemic. But uh, this isn't about Pandemic. This is about a game they made, this Full Spectrum Warrior, which uh, I actually have never played. It's, I, it's that, like, it's that U.S. military fictional, like, Desert Storm-looking squad-based tactical uh fps style game it doesn't it's, it's not my thing i mean I'm, I'm not gonna lie to myself and be like yeah just because i love this developer i'm gonna go back and play it but it was a uh it was a beloved title i know at least for its time it was a highly regarded game on the original xbox platform just one i don't have any experience with but shout out to full spectrum warrior and even bigger shout out to pandemic may you rest in peace and a little de- anecdote i always love to give is actually the time at which pandemic was shut down and 343 was being formed kind of quietly secretively internally at microsoft to be kind of shepherd not shepherding but uh uh, shadowing and then working alongside bungie to eventually take on the halo franchise those two events happen around a similar time frame so it it ends up going you know as, as the story goes that a lot of the recently laid off pandemic crew went over to 343 and ended up working on you know what would eventually become Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary Edition and a little bit of Halo Reach content, and then, of course, Halo 4, the beloved classic, not even remotely divisive, just objectively fantastic Halo 4. Thank you all for not arguing with me on that one. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I always love a little bit of that, that little bit of lore just because it's like, well, at least these great developers or some of them ended up contributing to what I consider to be some of the best Xbox first-party content there is. Uh, anyway, so yeah, Full Spectrum War here, guys. <laughs> Welcome to Xbox On, guys. Episode 209. It's June 1st. We're about halfway through the year. So yes, if you're one of those people that constantly looks at the date and says, wow, I'm getting old, we're halfway through 2023. And I bet you're probably just now taking down your Christmas tree. Isn't that terrifying? Anyway, guys, let's start out this week by getting into our notable game releases. we got a couple to go over. Um, Company of Heroes 3 
is hitting Xbox. It's been out on PC for a minute here now, but it's on Xbox as of this week. It can be yours for 60 bucks, and uh, for those not in the U.S., that's 60 American dollars, U.S. dollars, uh, and developed by Relic Entertainment. I know some people have been looking forward to that. A Game Pass game that I'm actually quite looking forward to that comes out today, Slayer's X Terminal Aftermath Vengeance of the Slayer. I know that's supposed to be a mouthful of a title. I think it's part of the charm. But this game is just supposed to like ooze like R-rated 1994, just kind of like punk rock like a skate tape kind of energy. I just, I don't know how else to put it. It's like a, it's like doom and Duke Nukem meets like skate tapes meets punk rock all set in like the mid nineties. It's just, I, I don't know. I don't really understand what this game is, is going for. That's just obviously the, that's the tone and the vibe I get just watching the trailer, but this game looks very good. I'm very much in a, as they now retroactively refer to them as boomer shooter kind of phase right now. Uh, this game is really speaking to me, and I'm definitely excited to give it a go this weekend as it's a day one Game Pass title. By the time you're listening to this podcast, the game's already out. So if you like those old classic style like Doom 1, Doom 2, Wolfenstein kind of uh, old FPS games, we've been seeing a lot of a lot of rejuvenation in this in this genre as people are going back and making a lot of indie titles inspired by these games. Um, then, you know, this might be one you want to add to your list. Slayer's X, Terminal Aftermath, Vengeance of the Slayer. Looks pretty cool. Uh, next week, I'll have some impressions to go over. Hopefully, it is pretty cool. But if it's not, don't worry. When we get to the games I've been playing, I got a whole lot to tell you about a different game in this genre that is so, so good. Uh, speaking of games that are probably going to be so, so good, Diablo 4 is kind of out this week. So, if you bought the deluxe or ultimate edition of the game the game is out on june 2nd which is this friday right yeah friday so you have access to it on friday if you bought the more expensive version which i believe starts at 90 dollars uh if you bought the standard version of the game for 70 dollars you are gonna wait i think what's the proper release day is it the 9th next friday so you get it a full week early if you buy one of the more expensive tiers. So if that is something that, you know, I, I listen, I understand. For a lot of people that people I know Cronky gets all up in arms about this kind of tact. I personally prefer a world where games just release in a fully completed state and don't have like loot boxes or some shit. But there's the option to like spend an extra ten or twenty bucks and get the game a week early. That bothers me a whole lot less than like what we had ten years ago with season passes and what we have nowadays with loot bo- or um with us, well, I, what, what, no, what am I trying to say? I guess we had loot boxes, and now we have season passes. But I think Diablo is actually going to have all that shit in addition to this, but what, whatever. The, the point was just, of all the ways to kind of microtransaction, extra charge, get players in other places other than just the uh, traditional $70 for the game, um, this is one of the ones that pisses me off the least, because, yeah, I get it. It's like if the game's ready to launch on June 2nd, then... Maybe you're just uh, maybe maybe the proper launch isn't June 9th. It's June 2nd, and you're just delaying the game for everyone else. But I don't know. I I, I don't take too much issue with this one, and I guess it's just it's just a certain battle that I understand why a lot of people are upset about it. But I just choose not to engage with this one because it just doesn't bug me all that much. But Diablo 4, you can have it this Friday, and I know a lot of people are super excited about it. The reviews are coming out. It's apparently fantastic. I mean, every Diablo game reviews very well and is generally received pretty well. You know, mobile games not included. But, uh, yeah, no surprise here. Diablo 4, it's, it's being received very well. People are super hyped about it. And, uh, you know, from the 
15 minutes I got to experience the game before the server slam went offline. I got to say, nothing but positive, uh, positive, resp- uh, nothing but positive things to say regarding that uh, opening cinematic and character customization I, I got to experience before the game shut off. Uh, last big notable game of the week, but definitely not least, Street Fighter VI, also out this Friday. Another game that is reviewing really well. I know people are insanely hyped for. Definitely a game I would be just so absolutely lying through my teeth if I told you I gave a shit about. So while most podcasts probably have a thing or two to say about about a game like Street Fighter VI launching because it's a huge release, I have absolutely nothing to offer you because, my God, I just Street Fighter has never spoken to me, and it's... Uh, doesn't look like Street Fighter 6 is going to be the game to change that. But hey, it's $60, not $70. So one of the last games, you know, Capcom being one of the last publishers out there, not jumping on the $70 bandwagon. So I guess enjoy that while you got it because you know it's only a matter of time. But yeah, again, getting great reviews. I know Street Fighter 6 is supposed to be quite a uh, departure from the norm in terms of, you know, what all the game entails outside of just moment-to-moment fighting. So... You know, it's interesting to see that this game is trying to evolve the formula of the franchise, which is something I always welcome, even if it doesn't work out. You know, it's always cool to see a new attempt at something rather than just rehashing the same shit over and over again as I as I look over at my Xbox wondering when I can play Call of Duty again. But uh, yeah, those are our big games coming out this week. Diablo, Street Fighter, no doubt getting lots of attention. Slayers X is the one I'm definitely eyeing. And then for the uh, nerds that have a hard time getting matches on Tinder and shit. You got Company Heroes 3. So there you go. Some good games to look forward to. Guys, let's uh, real quick back it up. And I guess I'm going to do this out of order because I just kind of want to get to it. We'll talk about the Activision thing in a second because we do have a couple little updates, although they're not that important. Um, I just want to talk about, I just want to go through real quick the updates uh, and corrections, the corrections really. So, you know me, I like to hold myself accountable. If I say something that's wrong and I catch myself or someone points it out, I got to hold myself accountable. I, I, I can't be out here spreading false information. That's not my intention. And I, I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong, which is obviously quite often. But uh, this week we had a correction that I just had to, uh, I just I just had to stop everything and make sure we address this because I don't want to be, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be harming reputations or, or putting out misinformation or stirring the pot in any way by, you know, misspeaking and then not realizing that the consequences of, of that false information are far greater. So Mr. Switchblade 327 wrote in and says, and remember last week's podcast title was uh, Sony shows their cards. Now it's Xbox's turn. Well, Mr. Switchblade 327 writes in and says, LOL, PlayStation held their cards. If you thought PlayStation played their cards, you know nothing. So, thank you, Mr. Switchblade, for writing in. Guys, I've been doing a lot of research with this. I've been tapping into, uh, you know, some some resources, some some connections I have uh, in the industry. Some, some guys I know that work at Sony, some guys I know that used to work at PlayStation Studios, and... Uh, I I was absolutely wrong. Switchblade, thank you for bringing this to my attention. I totally fucked up. Um, I got to change the title of last week's episode because PlayStation absolutely did not show their cards last week during their their summer game showcase. They did. They actually they actually showed a teaser trailer for their cards. Uh, Sony, you know, most companies have a standard fifty two card playing deck, and Sony didn't even show any of their cards. They just showed the little the little paper casing that the the cards come in. Um, they still have a full 52 deck as far as 
I'm aware as far as my sources tell me uh, is, is concerned. So we have plenty of cards to see from PlayStation. Uh, I'm even hearing that PlayStation just being as superior and big and important of a company as they are. They may even have a deck larger than 52. I didn't know that was even possible. I thought maybe Google or Amazon had a card deck that large, but nope. PlayStation, Sony, they have a card deck that large. It's possibly upwards of 67, 68 cards, um, and they haven't shown any of them. So if you were underwhelmed by PlayStation showing last week, um, if you felt like they didn't bring the goods with all the games they had to talk about coming over the next year or two, the good thing is they didn't show their cards whatsoever. Um, so that's good to know. Also, shout out to all the other absolute moronic console warriors that i don't know youtube youtube's been uh favoring me and punishing me a little bit lately so all joking aside uh, the podcast you know it, it gets the majority of its traction from podcast services but i put it on youtube anyway because it's a thing for me I, I just i love youtube i always wish i could grow a youtube channel so to me it's like you know at least some portion of the audience will find the show consume the show and enjoy the show through youtube plus it offers us a platform to post comments so even though YouTube is not where a good portion of the audience lives for Xbox on, it is an important platform because it means something to me and because it offers a platform for people to write in comments so we can have comments to read on the show. But lately, you know, generally I get like 50 to 100 views on YouTube a week. Lately, I've been having some episodes like really hit and they're getting like three, 500 uh, uh, views, I guess, because... I'm just like a lazy SEO god or something. I'm just putting fucking Sony PlayStation in my tags, and then all of a sudden, boom, thumbnail is good, the tags are good, the title's good, and YouTube's sending it off. And now it's it's good because it has been bringing new eyes to the show. We've gotten a couple recent new uh, subscribers, and shout out to you guys. I appreciate you all checking out the show, and I'm glad you like it. And you know, keep bringing me that uh, the support and the feedback. It means a lot. But it's also brought with it a bunch of these like absolute. What I can only assume are or 40-something-year-old balding men who still wear diapers living in their parents. I mean, listen, I live in Florida. We don't have basements here, so maybe living in, like, the garage or something. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it, it's 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 hilarious. We're getting some of these comments left and right, and it's just... I, I checked. I was like, whoa, this week we got so many comments. I'm so excited to pour through the comments and see what all people have to say. Uh, the episode got... <laughs> last week's episode got... Eight uh, 43 comments. I was so excited to see, like, I was like, wow, people are really excited to write in about their thoughts on the show. It's mostly just people like, you fucking idiot. PlayStation has zero games, you dumb piece of shit. And then, like, 700 responses to that message being like, no, Xbox has no games. That is why Game Pass is is teaching Xbox fans to be uh, groomers so they can teach young children. Uh, it's it's I don't, I don't know, man. Like, there's some fucking crazy comments in here, and I'd be loath to delete any of them because, I mean, they're just so entertaining. <laughs> so <laughs> shout out to all y'all who uh, clearly didn't fucking listen to the podcast because if you listen to two minutes of this show, you know damn well uh, who the fuck cares about console wars. But also, thank you for the uh, the endless laughs that you brought to me as I screenshotted these comments and shared them with everyone I know because they brought me so much joy. Um, but, but also on a very serious note, I don't give a shit if people want to attack me or criticize me um, or, or call me a console warrior. It means, oh, it means so fucking little to me. I, I couldn't care less. But what, what does bother me is if I see people picking on other people that comment on the show and, and leave comments saying mean things. Obviously, the people who left these mean comments in this case are not real human beings. They're not real people who listen to the show. They're not real fans of the show or listeners. So I guess I'm kind of talking to no one by saying this, but just as a reminder, if you are out there and you do listen to the show regularly and you choose to take to the comments to insult or attack another commenter or listener of the show, big will fuck you. 
not going to read your comment on the show, and they will mail you a box of exotic poop. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to stoop to the uh, the high school level of sending you dog poop and lighting it on fire in your doorstep. You don't, you deserve worse than that. I will find some very exotic poop. I'm talking about poop from animals they haven't even discovered yet. Okay, I'm going to find these animals. I'm going to put them in the history books. And I'm going to put their poop in a box and send it to you. So don't be doing shit like that. Don't be insulting others, attacking others, or being general dickheads. We don't need that. But guys, now I feel like I have cleaned my conscience. We have conscience, the one word I cannot pronounce in the English language. And uh, there we go. Oh, another thing. This is a this is a genuine correction update. I got my calendar so so flipped around, so backwards, you guys. I'm sorry. Last week I said for the Xbox showcase on June 11th, Sunday, June 11th, we will be doing the stream on Twitch, and then uh, the the podcast leading up to that, we'll do the predictions. So write in with your predictions for what you think will be at the showcase, and we'll read them on this week's podcast. My tiny brain thought for some reason this was the week before the showcase, as if like the first week of June was just gonna disappear off the calendar. I was wrong. So the the showcase is not this upcoming Sunday. It is next Sunday, the 11th. So if you wrote in this past week with your predictions, as I as I solicited last week, your predictions as to what you think might happen at the uh, Xbox Game Showcase on June 11th, um, I'm saving your comments. I'm not forgetting your comments, but we're not going to read them this week. I'm going to hold on to them and then read them next week because I really messed up and thought for some reason this was the week before the show. So... I'm I'm a little bummed about it because I sat down, I, I wrote out my list. I'm still going to add a little more to it, but I'm pretty happy with what I got on there so far. I got some some fun ones, some some guesses I think are pretty pretty bullish, pretty pretty daring guesses, and then some I think are just a lot of fun. So I look forward to sharing yours and to going over that next week. But I, I messed up. We're not doing that this week. We're doing a regular podcast this week, and then next week when we're about you know the podcast goes live Thursday, the Xbox. Summer Showcase will be on Friday, on a Sunday, you know, a couple days in advance. We'll have that podcast, next week's podcast, go over all my predictions for the showcase, all your predictions for the showcase. So the good news is, yeah, well, yeah, I fucked up, but the good news is you still have an opportunity to go over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcasts, click on the latest episode, leave a comment with all your predictions, hopes, dreams, aspirations for next next Sunday's uh, Xbox showcase. And uh, I'll read them on next week's show and we can go over all that just days before Phil Spencer takes the stage to show us that he one time got shot by a paintball gun straight in the chest and it left a red mark that looks like a third nipple and it hasn't gone away. It's been 27 years. His doctor says it's absolutely fine. Don't worry about it. But he knows it looks weird and he's insecure about taking off his shirt that's why he hasn't been to a public pool in over a decade. It's a whole thing. And we can talk about those predictions. So just leave in your comments. You can also leave a totally sane, normal, not ridiculous comment. Just like, hey, I think they'll announce a new game that looks really swell. That's fine, too. But, uh, yeah, leave your predictions. Leave your um, <laughs> leave your ridiculous comments, and we will read them next week. I'm excited for that episode. But those are all my corrections, things I need to address at the top of the show. Thank you for humoring me. Let's get back to our Activision updates, and then we can move on with the news. So for the Activision updates, I guess this technically is news, but, you know, I roll. We got to talk about the Activision stuff. We got three quick updates, and I'll blast through them. But the first one here is that Microsoft's appeal against the UK's CMA has officially been assigned for a court hearing in July. So on July 24th, uh, or the week commencing, they said, this is the official announcement, the week commencing July 24th to the 31st, uh, said Judge Marcus Smith, the hearing of the substance of this application will take place in the fortnight commencing <laughs> June 24. God, it's, legal speak is a fucking trip, you guys, especially British legal speak. Holy crap. But yeah, so 
that that last week or so of July is when we're going to get that appeals court thing happen and get us one step closer to finding out if they can overturn this this uh, decision that the CMA has made to block the deal where it's been approved in all other territories. In fact, let's just skip to the third update, which is that uh, Koreans, the KFTC, not the Kentucky Fried Chicken, but the Korean Fried uh, Tencennial Chicken, uh, also known as the Korean Fair Trade Commission, has unconditionally cleared the deal. And their their little quote is actually funny because the uh, the Korean Commission says they have no concerns about the potential restrictions of competition if Blizzard games are made exclusive to Xbox platforms. As uh, as they say, South Korean um, players specifically, uh, the popularity of Activision Blizzard games is fairly low in South Korea, and the importance uh, to platform holders is not that important in the region, which is absolutely true, but it's just kind of funny to hear them be like, yeah, we know. We don't, over here in Korea, we don't even give a shit, dude. We got League of Legends. We got that fucking League of Legends game with the first person shooting that the people like. We got the fucking, I don't know, something else. It's Korea. Why not? We got Smilegate, and they're canceling uh, Crossfire X. So what What the hell do we need? Well, what do we need Activision Blizzard King for, you know? But uh, the third update is that, you know, speaking of this, this thing being set for July, this appeal hearing for Microsoft to try to get the deal approved in the UK. Um, a summary has been published, which explains the terms of Microsoft's appeal against the UK and its decision to block the proposed acquisition. The summary of applications document, which has been posted on the Competition Appeal Tribunal's website, summarizes the five grounds under which Microsoft believes the CMA's decision to uh, block the deal should be challenged. And these are their five reasons. The first one is the CMA made errors errors in assessing Microsoft's position in cloud gaming service by failing to take into account the constraints from native gaming. Number two, the CMA failed to take account of th uh, three long-term commercial agreements Microsoft has entered into cloud gaming providers, uh, which is we keep seeing them do more and more of those. And then the third one is the CMA's claim that Activision would have likely made its games available on cloud service without the merger was irrational and arrived at a uh, procedurally unfair manner. That's actually true. I actually agree with that because Activision has been one of the publishers to have basically no fucking support for anything cloud whatsoever up to this point. So that's actually... A pretty fair uh, argument. The fourth one is that the CMA, uh, Microsoft says the CMA claims that Microsoft would have the ability and incentive to foreclose, quote unquote, rival cloud gaming services by withholding access to cloud uh, Activision games. Uh, and that was unlawful. Obviously, we know that's not the case because they're basically putting their games everywhere just to get this deal through. And lastly, they say that overall, the CMA's decision was a breach of its common law duty of fairness and its own remedies guidance. Um, in a statement, Microsoft corporate VP of De uh, Deputy General Counsel, Rima Alaley said the CMA's decision is flawed for multiple reasons, including the overestimation of the role of cloud streaming in the gaming market and that our position in it, as well as the unwillingness to consider solutions that received overwhelming industry and public support. We're confident in the strength of our appeal and our binding commitments we have made to increase the competition and choice of players for players for today and in the future. So I, I that's fair. I mean, that was all of our response as well was like, they're overestimating how important cloud gaming is. It's not that important, but it's kind of funny for Microsoft to come out and say that because it's like, it's easy for them to take that position because I think that's everyone's knee-jerk reaction. It's like, why are you blocking this deal on the grounds of, you know, potential Microsoft monopoly in cloud gaming when cloud gaming is so small and unproven and most companies keep failing and even trying it and people aren't really taking to it. But for Microsoft to also jump on that and be like, yeah, you know, cloud gaming is not that prevalent. Why do you care so much? You're, you're putting too much value in that. It's like, 
Well, well, Microsoft, whoa, 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 whoa. That's okay for us to throw that criticism as consumers because that's what we observe and it's thus far true. But Microsoft, you're a multi-billion dollar corporation and the fact that you guys have stuck with cloud gaming and keep investing in it so aggressively and have done so for so long is because you know it's the future and you know there's a lot of potential and you want to be the ones to tap into it first and have the biggest success in that space. So don't, you know, I understand that they can play this up. Look, the audience is saying it. It seems obvious given the current state of the industry. Let's play it up to our advantage. But also, let's let's not let's not forget Microsoft, you as a corporation know damn well that the future of game streaming is seemingly bright and, and there's a reason why you're so aggressive and so you know, so hell-bent on, on really dominating that market. So it's okay for us to criticize you for this, but listen, man, back off, you big corporation. And that's what you get. That's Hey, that's the Xbox on difference, is I'm willing to hold the corporation accountable even if I like their products. Whereas Mr. Switchblade327, you know, claiming that Sony's holding all their cards, he loves he loves PlayStation so much he wouldn't even admit if they were holding a bunch of, a, a bunch of, a bunch of immigrant children uh, in their basement and holding them hostage until Insomniac makes a sequel to Resistance Three, and he wouldn't even admit that because he's just that much of a of a pony. Really, he's a po he's a pony. Let's say the word. He's a pony. Uh, I'm not an Xbox. In fact, I have a girlfriend to prove it. So I'm not a console warrior. He is, and also PlayStation sucks, and also Nintendo sucks, and also Xbox is just so cool because the amount of teraflops the Xbox has is incredible. I can't believe a console this small can hold that many teraflops. It's just astonishing. But that's it for all of our. Activision updates of the week. Wipe your uh, foreheads and brows of the sweat. We made it through. We can finally move on at this point in time to the mildly amusing stories. That's not, that's right. We're not moving on to the, the news stories. We're moving on to the mildly amusing news stories and updates of that nature, which actually this week, I'd say this is borderline just amusing stories, not even mildly amusing because we got some some stories in here I'm, I'm pretty hyped for. So, so let's get started with... Uh, Fable news. Hey, remember Fable? It's that game that was rumored to be made by Playground Games for a billion years, and then Microsoft confirmed it in 2020, and then Microsoft forgot about it for three years, and now it might be coming back. So, hey, so Microsoft, or the Xbox Twitter account, tweeted out a little, a little cute tweez, te teaser. I almost said tweezer. They should call it a tweezer if it's on Twitter because it's a Twitter teaser. But anyway... A little, a little tweet with a 10-second clip, and it was just like someone picking up an Xbox controller, but there was pixie dust all over, and the little fairy pixie dust is like spread across the room all the way to the TV, and the TV has the Xbox Game Showcase logo. And immediately, people were like, that's a Fable tease, because in the old old Fable games, you follow the little fairy dust around uh, as kind of like your objective leader. Um in the game, like your little arrow marker thing. And so everyone's like immediately, hey, that's a that's a fable reference. And obviously it's a fable reference. There's no I'm not here to be like, do you think it's a fable reference? I don't give a shit. Obviously it is. It's been a long time coming. Uh, reports suggest that apparently Microsoft's been trying to show this game for a while and that Playground Games has been pushing off um that that reveal because they want to wait until the game's like far along and really in a good place before they show it, which, you know, respect. Uh and, that, and that's just a bit of information I heard on a podcast from a Mr. Maddie Plays on a on a Last Stand Media podcast. I don't actually remember which one, um, but anyway, you know, credit where credit's due. So I, I you know, I don't I don't know anything. I'm a fucking guy in his boxers who plays Xbox on the weekends when he's not at his day job. I don't know anything. Take everything I say with a grain of salt. In fact, take everything I say with nothing because I mostly just end up making up stories about Phil Spencer having an imaginary third nipple and then wonder why he won't come on my podcast. So don't don't even listen to what I'm saying. But if you were gonna listen to what I'm saying, I would say 
it seems pretty damn obvious that Fable is going to be shown at this Xbox Game Showcase next Sunday, the 11th of June, uh, which is how you'd say it if you were in Europe, but I'm in America, so we'd say June 11th because we don't want to waste our time adding extra words and making extra uh, trite freaking prepositional phrases. But yeah, I mean, this is obviously exciting. This is If we were going to do our predictions, spoiler alert, no doubt Fable's got to be shown at this event, right? Like, it, what do you do? Okay, Redfall is out. It is what it is. We don't got to talk about that. Halo is in the rearview mirror at this point. We don't got to talk about it. It just is what it is. Starfield is coming in a couple months. What do we got after that? So clearly this is going to be the showcase. Whether it whether it lives up to our expectations and makes all of our hopes and dreams come true, I don't fucking know. But there's no doubt that this has got to be the showcase where we get some solid dates, some solid gameplay reveals, a clear vision of what's going to happen. Microsoft bought a billion teams in 2018 and then a billion more in 2020. Like this has got, I know I say it every year. This podcast is almost four years old now. I know I say it every year, but guys, we're, we're far out of the pandemic at this point. Microsoft's owned these teams for a long ass time. We're almost three years into the Xbox series generation. Like all of the, all of the excuses are gone. Work from home, pandemic it's over okay the consoles being brand new and we're just testing the limits of the new hardware that's over we're, we're deep into the generation now all of it you know double fine oh they just bought double fine they just bought playground games they just oh they just bought compulsion they they just created uh the the initiative they're a brand new studio they just formed we're past all of those excuses we're at the part now where it's like show us the motherfucking games or we're all going to go to ebay and buy some like kitted out, made in a basement Raspberry Pi, and play fucking, I don't know, Huey Dewey Louie on NES or whatever the fuck we played back in the eighties and nineties. I don't know, but we're like this. There's just no there. Like, what is the option? I don't even. I can't even think because last year, because last year we could have. You know, we all said, well, Starfield and Redfall and right. So it was okay. Last year was a little disappointing. It was a lot of CGI trailers, a lot of where was this game? Why didn't they show that this game or that game? But at least we had some real heavy hitters to lean on because last year we were promised that Starfield would be coming out last fall. So that was the thing that we all were fixated on. But this year's different because, yeah, this year is about Starfield and we're all waiting for Starfield. We want to get that date. We want to see that final reveal trail or that final gameplay demo before the game comes out. I get that. Starfield is not in a position where it's coming out because we're also hyped and this is the time it's supposed to come out. It's like the belabored, it's been delayed, like, uh, here, we, here we go, like, just get it out the fucking door. This isn't the year of Starfield. This is the year of, like, we're finally getting that one out the door. So when we go to the showcase, we're not looking forward to seeing the game that was supposed to come out last year that's now coming out this year. We know that's coming. We're hyped for that in a separate way, you know, in a, in a different sense. For the showcase, we want to see... What comes after that game that was supposed to come out eight months ago that's now coming out in three months? Whatever. Aside from that, what do we do after that? Yeah, we know about Forza Motorsport, and we'll get to that in a second, but like, that's not that's not the game, okay? Forza's huge. It has its fan base. It's a fantastic franchise, but that's not the game. Where are the, Where's the game? The game that's going to make us like jump for joy. And that's it's got to be games like Fable, Avowed, Contraband, Perfect Dark, Whatever the fuck the uh, the compulsion's working on, you know, like show show these games. Not talking about CGI trailers, not splash screens. Show gameplay. Give us a taste of what these games look like and feel like and play like. Let us know. 
Give us something that we can take screen grabs of the prettiest moments of the demos and, and post them on PlayStation fans' Twitter accounts and say, aren't you so stupid you bought PlayStation? Look how good this screenshot looks. Don't you feel stupid now? I own Xbox. Give us that. That's it, And it's... If, if you don't do that, you got nothing to show. You, you might as well not even be here. What are you going to do? Show ID at Xbox? Show us yet another game that looks vaguely like fucking uh, some, I don't know, artsy game with a, a girl that goes to summer camp or a fucking inanimate object that personifies and goes through the desert or some shit. Like, we, we get it. Indie games, beautiful art styles, critical reception. Show us the fucking games where the Marcus Phoenix gets the gun and someone may or may not die. We don't know because Gear 6 still isn't out yet. I don't give a shit. Just show us the, the actual games. And so, yeah, this is a tease for Fable. It's not It's not like, oh, I wonder if that's Fable. This is definitely Fable. We are 100% going to see Fable at this showcase. The question is, what are the other games? State of Decay 3? Undead Labs? State of Decay 3? Where are you at? It's, it's time. You gotta be there. So, I, I would say, honestly, and we can get into this again when we get into the main news story that I want to talk about. Because the way we're doing the news this week is a little unconventional, but I'm excited to get into it. It's a little more conversational, less directly reading a story and responding to it. But, um, yeah, man, like, I just, I'm excited because I th- I think PlayStation, and I want to be clear about this. I like PlayStation. I actually think I liked that PlayStation event last week more than most people seem to have liked it. I, I was pretty, I was pretty, like, okay on it. I thought it was, like, a solid C, you know, C, C plus showing. Spider-Man looks phenomenal, no doubt about that. Um, the, the issue with, with the issue with PlayStation is they didn't show like they have so many first party. Well, actually, we'll, we'll save it. Well, let me just stop. We'll save it because this is getting into what I want to talk about in the main news segment. But it just seems like everyone's in this like kind of standstill moment where it's like, don't do not have a showcase if you don't have a lot to show. And I think Xbox, they're just they're at dude. They got a fucking gun to their head. Phil Spencer's on kind of funny the other week talking about all the things are messing up and this and that and we got to get it right and here we go man and I, i'm hyped i said that's all that's all not to say like oh xbox what are you doing to get together that's to say like i'm hyped man like i feel like there's no way this can go in any direction other than it's going to be a pretty damn good showing so i'm i'm pretty hyped yeah they're teasing fable Fable's going to be there the only question is are we going to get a release date on fable i know it's not coming out this year that's fine hopefully it comes out next year but are we going to get a fucking release date? Are you going to say 2024 or are you going to say holiday 2024 or are you going to say October 2024 or are you going to say 10, 14, 2024? Like what are we going to, that's what I'm excited to see. How specific are you going to get? Are we going to see release dates for multiple games? What is compulsion? Are they actually making a game where you just yanking my chain? What's the point of the initiative? What's that perfect dark game look like? Now's the time. I'm I gotta t- I'm hyped for perfect dark. I gotta tell you that, man. I don't have a lot of love for perfect dark on the N64. Um, I just I don't have a lot of experience with it. I know it's of its existence. I actually really like Perfect Dark Zero on the Xbox 360, the launch era 360 game. As imperfect as it is, I there's a lot about that game I I enjoyed and just have a weird soft nostalgia for. And so I'm I'm kind of hoping we can get some kind of kick-ass reboot here's a reason i really care about perfect dark style game from the initiative because if you're not going to create something original and new like you should have done in my opinion at least make perfect dark badass because you can it can I, I i believe this is a franchise that can be good and so now i'm ready for it now i'm hyped also am i the only one who saw that teaser with the xbox controller covered in the fairy dust and instead of thinking instead of thinking oh god that's a tease for fable thought oh god we're getting 
pixie dust colored uh, Cheetos dusted controllers for Xbox. Oh my god, that's so hype. I hope we can do this in the design lab and I can pick any Cheetos dust color combination I want for my controller. I just thought that was such a potentially cool opportunity. I'd pay an extra 20 bucks for that alone, but that's just me. All right, let's move on because we can't I can't say anything else without getting into our main topic, so we'll just save it. Let the hype build. Really looking forward to the showcase. And speaking of the showcase, guys, Turn 10 Studios, one of Microsoft's only reliable developers left at this point, has revealed Forza Motorsports cover art and confirmed plans to show the game next month or in June on June 11th at their showcase. The game's box art features the 2023 number one Cadillac Racing V Series um, and the 2024 Chevrolet Corvette E-Ray. Um, and the studio said that you'll get an up-close look at the cars during the Xbox showcase on June 11th and a full walkthrough of the single-player career gameplay during Forza monthly stream on June 13th. So I'm actually excited to see that career play because I feel like that's exactly what Forza's always needed to kind of keep me gripped a little longer, a little more invested, especially Motorsport because I, I, I'm pretty into Horizon as it is, but Motorsport is like a game I always dabble in. I want to spend more time. I want to like it more, and I feel like a career mode could be the kind of thing to give me some regiment and structure to keep me in the game a little more. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing what that is. But yeah, no doubt. The game looks good. Uh, generally, the only thing I can say is that normally key art for Forza games features one car on the cover, not two. And so that's the only like the only thing I can glean. I'm not going to try to like say, oh, that what are they getting at here? But the only thing I noticed is it's like, oh, there's, there's two cars they're featuring on the cover. Usually Forza games are kind of... Um, are kind of the covers are kind of like it's like sports titles where they pick a, a cover athlete every year. Where Forza will be like, here's the car we're featuring for this this game this year. Um, but this year they're featuring two cars. So look at that! Shout out to that. It's always some like exotic sports car that I don't give a shit about because yeah, that's great. You have the Chevy Corvette E Ray in the game. I'm still gonna just soup up like a freaking <laughs> Scion TC or something like that and drive it around the track. So. Uh, I'll play with kitty cars no matter what. But yeah, I'm 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 genuinely excited. I know Forza always gets kind of lost in the shuffle because, you know, yes, it's always there. It's always reliable. It's always good. But that's just it. It's like, hey, in a, in a time where Xbox just hasn't been able to get on top of their shit consistently for more than 10 minutes at a time, Forza's just still always been here kind of rocking away, doing what it does best. And I'm excited to see what this more platform service type Forza experience looks like compared to just it being another Forza Motorsport. So... That is one game we will definitely see a lot of and get a release date for on June 11th, so look forward to that. All right, let's next talk about uh, so, something that we, we've we been waiting for an update on for, I, I believe, two full years now. Uh, from VGC, the controversial war game, Six Days in Fallujah, will be released on Steam for PC via early access on June 22nd. It was announced this week. The long-in-development game aims to tell the story of the Second Battle of Fallujah, which took place in 2004 from various perspectives, including American troops fighting in the Iraq insurgents, fighting the Iraq insurgents, as well as members of the city's civilian population. Priced at $40 US, the game will launch in early access with cooperative four-player missions set in urban maps that are procedurally generated each time the game is played, Ooh. according to the publisher Victura. These missions will focus on the experiences of U.S. Uh, Marine fire teams on the day of each battle. Later in the early access period, players will be able to play co-op as special operatives in as or as Iraq soldiers fighting alongside coalition forces. I think that's new information. I think before it was only from the U.S. perspective, so that might have been why the game went away for a few years and now it's coming back as they're trying to show more perspectives to uh, curb all that criticism in 
and shit the game got. Six Days in Fallujah was originally uh, scheduled to be published by Konami over a decade ago, I believe, back in 2009. The game was canceled due to the controversial nature of the game, in which case a lot of criticism was being uh, shown at the game from a lot of uh, anti-war groups, veteran and anti-war groups, as well as a bunch of uh, outraged conservative media types. Fast forward to 2017, uh, the game was resurrected when Victura, the publisher formed by CEO of original developed Atomic Games, announced that the game was back in development by Highwire, a new studio founded by Bungie veteran Jamie Grismeyer and Marty O'Donnell, the legendary composer. And then, of course, this game then received ire from the exact opposite end of the political aisle, uh, who complained and bitched and moaned about the game. I, I don't know, because I guess they just wanted to be outraged. They just they they were upset, basically, that the game didn't de- didn't show other perspectives of the conflict, which is just fucking weird because while absolutely it'd be cool to see games like this show other perspectives, because yes, not everything, not every conflict that the U S is involved with has just the perspective of the U S. So I agree with that. It'd be cool to get more games with more perspectives and show things like that. But again, this game has a very specific um, mission, which is to, show the perspective of this conflict through the pers- through the eyes of U.S. Marines that actually lived through the experience. Remember, these, this game, if you watch any of the trailers, they have actual Marines that were involved in the conflict interviewing them. They're talking about it. They're going through the events, and then you're playing through the events. It's, it, is, it is intense. It is traumatic, and it is, you know, it is an emotional experience, and that's what makes the game so fucking cool is it allows, you know, everyday game players an ability to sit down and, and, and put the controller in their hand and, and instead just playing Halo or Call of Duty or something that's entirely fictitious and has no real weight or meaning behind, you know, what it is and its its relation to the real world. Have a game that's like, hey, just so you know, this isn't just another opportunity to good guy shoot bad guy. This is like an actual conflict that happened where you know, good people on all sides were put in a situation and, and lives were lost and, and, and blood was shed and, and shit happened. You know, it's like, that's a fucking awesome idea for a game. Like, it doesn't matter what perspective you, I don't give a shit if you, if you make a game about World War II from the perspective of playing as a fucking Nazi soldier. Like, I don't, I don't care. Real stories are interesting. And I, I just find it fucking weird that people want to like get all controversial about what sides of history deserve to be preserved and which ones we should work to erase and forget about. It's like, no, no, preserve all fucking angles of the story because we should, we should have exposure and knowledge of what happened and how it happened. And if your criticism is, well, the game is too American centric. It only, it only shows the perspective of the U S Marines. It's like, that's fucking great. Go now go make a game about the other perspective and we'll play that too. Cause that sounds awesome. I'll play, I'll play all the games about this conflict. As long as the games are good and the, in the story and the, in the experience they're trying to share with the players meaningful and worth, you know, worth your time. I don't give a shit what perspective it is, you know? Um, but anyway, that's, that's just me. I'm, I'm really excited to see that this game is coming back again. It's going to be playable. I'm not hyped about the early access model that they're going through, but I, th- I think, and maybe I'm reading this wrong, but I think what happened here is they basically went away and said, all right, we received a lot of criticism two years ago from a bunch of fucking nut job, Twitter, self-appointed pundits that think they matter. And they bitched and moaned that we're not showing the Iraqi perspective at all. And that this game is just us propaganda. And so in order to, avoid the, the the conflict and avoid being caught in the middle of some fucking culture war bullshit. Let's just 
it also include additional content with the other, you know, the other perspective of the conflict and try and have a more evenly weighed experience. That's fine. I don't, I don't mind that they're doing that. In fact, I hope that makes the game even better and more, you know, emotionally resonant by representing more perspectives. That's great. The only thing is, it's like, I know so much of the game, it's original incarnation that was originally being made or published by Konami back in the day, 10 years ago. I know that was all based around this documentary footage and these interviews from actual U.S. Marines. Are they going to have actual documented narration and, and, and interviews and such from from these uh, from these Iraqi insurgents and these civilians that that were involved in the conflict, or is it just going to be this really weird lopsided like, hey, here's a really intimate, intentionally developed u.s perspective and then a shoehorned iraqi perspective just so we could avoid kotaku writing a hit piece about the developers when the game launches and that's that's kind of what i'm wondering here is like what is what are we going to get now or is this just is this just you know uh, like a audience people pleasing move or is this like a really like interesting additional i don't know i guess we'll just have to wait and see when the game comes out and and that brings us to the early access thing where it's like is it early access because you had to extend the development time to do this and now you need more money to get you to the finish line because you're running out of funds or is it like because i don't know a single player cooperative narrative driven game i'm like that's not i understand multiplayer games for early access but i don't know like i'm not going to play this in early access because they even say like the game will come to other consoles next year he'll have a proper release on pc and then come to gaming like consoles in 2024 and I, listen, I'm, I'm excited to play this game. I've been looking forward to it for a while. I am more than happy to skip out on the early access and wait for it to be available, fully released, fully finished on my Xbox Series X because that's how and where I want to play it. And I don't want to play a currently in development. You know, I don't know. It's weird. It's like it, I don't mind doing the in development multiplayer kind of, oh, we're testing it out. We're balancing things. We want feedback from the community as we work on the multiplayer experience. That's cool. I don't want that from my like narrative-driven single-player experience. That's a game I'm going to play one time and never again. So if I play it in a rough beta in development state, and then you fix it all, and you're like, it's even better now. I'm going to be like, that's great, but I'm I'm good. I already played the game, so too bad. I don't know. I just I, I don't understand early access for a game like this, other than they probably need money. But speaking of PC and how it affects us Xbox gamers, we got another one here where hey. Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart is coming to PC on July 26th, and so in just a, in just about a, you know two months here or so. So, wow, I'm excited about this one. Shortly after the PC version was leaked by Dataminder, Bill Bill Con uh, Nixus Software officially announced that it's developing the title in collaboration with Insomnia Games. The game is going to be available on both Steam and Epic Games Store. So, Sony bought Nixus uh, about a year or two ago after working with them for a while, and this is basically their glorified port studio. Their job is to take games from ps4 and ps5 and then make uh, pc versions of them for steam release so so far they've done a pretty good job they were not behind that uh, naughty dog last of us port that got a bunch of uh criticism recently so these guys have actually done a pretty good job putting games like returnal and uh, horizon and such like that on on pc um, but guys, I, I'm so excited about this because again, as I've said a million times before, Somniac, one of the great developers of all time, um, they are PlayStation owned now, so we're never going to get another game from them on Xbox, but this is an opportunity for Xbox gamers to play the great Insomniac developed games on PC. So this game came out about two years ago. 
and now we will have the ability to play it. I love Ratchet and Clank. I played almost every entry in the series. I adore these games, and I will 100% be playing Rift Apart on my PC as someone who does not own a PS5, but does love uh, this game series and this developer. And then also, not only that, but that gives you hope. I mean, we know PlayStation is basically putting all their first-party content on PC these days. It's just a matter of when. And it seems like the general time frame is about two to three years after the game comes out. But that means, I mean, Spider-Man 2... We got Spider-Man 1 and Miles Morales on PC. Spider-Man 2 will eventually come to PC. God of War Ragnarok will eventually come to PC. Uh, and we're seeing that more and more happen as more of these PS5 titles come. And this is just one I'm particularly excited for. So can't wait for that. It, it, it's hard because especially with Spider-Man 2, like it looks so fucking good. I, I want to just go out and buy a PS5. But honestly, the main reason why I refuse to do it, it's not It's not like uh, just money or like... Oh, I'm just such an X-Bot, I can't support the other one. It really has nothing to do with that. It's just that, like, this is the honest reason why I'm hanging on so much to not buying a PS5 is because last generation with the Xbox One, you know, at the start of that generation, I, I kind of had a falling out with gaming. I was just kind of barely getting back into it after a couple of years of just being too emo for gaming. And when I bought the Xbox One in twenty at the beginning of 2014, just like two months after it came out, I was, I was loving my Xbox One. I was playing it like crazy. I was re rediscovering my deep love for gaming. And I had so much, I had such a wonderful year or two with the Xbox One being my only console I played. I didn't worry about my Wii U at the time. I didn't have a PS4. I wasn't playing PS3. It was just Xbox One, nothing else. And I really loved that first year or two of the Xbox One because it just felt like, it was so easy to wrap my brain around like what the, the landscape of gaming was when it was just I had this one platform I'm deeply invested in and I just I'm focused on the games coming here. And then in 2015, like a month or so after Halo Infinite came out, I bought our Halo Infinite Halo 5 came out in 2015 i bought a ps4 because i got a good discount on it whatever of course you know i want to play all the games i'm i'm all the way back into gaming i want to i want to do it let's get a ps5 so i got a ps5 or four i can't i can't speak a ps4 and i, I loved my ps4 i played nathan drake collection i played the last of us because i hadn't played that yet i played horizon when that came out because i was really looking forward to that game i, I like my ps4 a lot i got a lot of use out of it definitely got my value out of it really enjoyed the games on it but the problem is the experience i had with gaming the second i got a ps4 versus the time i had with just an xbox one were two starkly different experiences especially when you add the switch into the conversation when that came out in 2017 which is Having to juggle like, all right, I got a Vita, I got a 3DS, I got a Switch, I got a Wii U, I got an Xbox One, I got a PS4, I got a, you know, I, I wasn't PC gaming at that point, I was I was actually on Mac back in those days, so thankfully I wasn't having to worry about another platform there, but it's just, it was awesome because it's like, I don't have to worry about a game coming out that looks good and being like, oh, I can't play that because I don't have that platform, but it was so overwhelming to have all, all the options and not enough time that, yeah, I don't know, it's like towards the end of that Xbox One PS4 generation, there was a part of me that was kind of like, PS4 is great, I've loved the games I've played on it, but man, I just, I kind of missed the simplicity of when I only had an Xbox One, and it was just like, I just got to focus on on this ecosystem. I know it's so silly, it's like, just play the specific games you want to play wherever they're available, like, that's all there is to it. I get that, but I don't know, there's like, ever since the Xbox Series X came out, there's been like this kind of like reset button, this opportunity to kind of go back to 2014, 2015 and have that opportunity again where it's just like, I don't got to worry about PlayStation or any of that because I only have this one option in front of me. And it's just, I don't know, it's like I felt like I've been more in tune with, with gaming and with the games I'm trying to play because 
when a new game comes out, I'm only concerned with what's on my Xbox. And so it's not that PS5 is phenomenal. It's an awesome console. I've, I've had hands-on time with it. It's awesome. I know how good PlayStation games are. I've played every generation of PlayStation. PS1 was the first console we ever had in my home growing up. I grew up with PlayStation. I love it. But it's just one of those things where it's like, if I buy a PS5, we're right back where I was a few years ago, where it's like, ah, I got to keep up with all the PlayStation shit. I got to keep up with all the Xbox shit. Whereas if I don't, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss out on some games, no doubt. PlayStation's got some good games. But... I don't have, it's, it's one less thing to worry about. I just, cause right now it's just like, what's on game pass, what's Xbox got coming out. And like that, that just feel, if I feel so in control of it, you know, it's like, I'm not, I'm not juggling girlfriends is what I'm saying. You know, I don't got the side chick or any of that. I just got the one girl and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm loyal to her and she loves me and I love her back. She might not be all that in a bag of chips, but God damn it. She is my girl. And that's how I feel about Xbox. And that's how I feel about you right now. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> so that's, that's basically where I am, where I'm just, I'm, I'm waiting for all these PlayStation games to come to PC. Cause I have the PC that can do gaming because I, I use it for hypothetically making YouTube videos that I don't make. I use it for the podcast. I use it for hypothetically creating music uh, that I don't actually do or make, but I have the PC that can game. And so if these games just come to PC, it's like, well, there you go. Every once in a blue moon, I guess I'll just play Spider-Man or Ratchet and Clank or whatever on my PC. But 99% of the time, it's just me and the Xbox. And I, I don't know. It just, it's like for my OCD brain, it just, it feels comfortable. Like it's something I can, I can work with and, and understand. And it's like, okay, that's, that's what I need to stick with. So I'm still holding out, but I think there is still a possibility I cave at some point this generation and buy a PS5 because waiting two or three years to play Spider-Man 2 when it comes to PC is going to be fucking rough. I can do that with God of War. You know, I don't mind waiting an extra two years to play God of War. I'll play it when I play it. It'll be great when I play it. I'm not worried about it, but God, I don't know if I can make it two years without that Spider-Man 2 because that shit's so good. All right. What were we even talking about? Oh, yeah, we're still in the opening segment. Goddamn. All right, let's keep it going. Let's speed it up. Let's talk about Hot Wheels Unleashed. Great game. Well, a sequel is just announced. Hot Wheels Unleashed 2 Turbocharged has been officially announced following recent leaks. Developer and publisher Milestone officially unveiled the game this week, this Wednesday, actually, hours before I record the show. It will be released on October 19th this year. Xbox One, Series S and X, PC via Steam and Epic Game Store, as well as other platforms. The game will launch with over 130 vehicles, including newly introduced motorcycles and ATVs, which will be able to race across five distinct environments, including, for the first time, outside. Go outside the house and race. Each with unique racing surfaces and styles for performance and blah, blah, blah. It will also introduce a new dash and jump ability. Lateral dashing is also allowed for tactical impacts against other opponents. Cool. In addition to a story-driven career mode, yes, uh, Hot Wheels Unleashed 2 will introduce a variety of new gameplay modes and cross-play on all platforms except for Switch. Two-player split-screen will also be returning. Milestone said that the game is featuring an improved track and uh, track and library editors, a track editor, and that all user-generated content will be shared cross-platform. The first Hot Wheels Unleashed was released in September of 2021 for PC, Xbox, and other consoles. Uh, yeah, so this is awesome. About two years after the first one came out, we're, get, we're getting a sequel, and God, I, I gotta say, I loved the first Hot Wheels Unleashed. I went through like two phases where I played it a bunch. For like, I went hard on it for a week. Didn't play it for a long time. Found another week where I just went really hard on it. 
played it a bunch. I love this game. Um, it's it's real, real good. This game reminds me of kind of the, the stuff we... It, it's definitely a little bit more modern where it's like really high presentation, really polished, definitely made for adults that grew up loving Hot Wheels, not made for kids of today who love Hot Wheels, although it's accessible, I think, to all audiences. But it's like this is a genuine racing game that just happens to be Hot Wheels rather than being like some cheap cash grabby kids thing. Um, but that being said, it's still in all the best ways kind of gives me that that hit I missed from my childhood where we had games like Hot Wheels Unleashed. You know, gaming is just so serious right now. Like, just think about all the games we're looking forward to or, you know, or, or we recently played or that we're all talking about in the conversation. I want the game where the guy's daughter dies and then he has to survive the apocalypse with this little girl. I want the game where, like... The, the the guy's got the gun with the chainsaw on it and everything's like there's these monsters and there's blood and, and it's just sad and gray everywhere and I want the game with the fucking you know the the, the, the I don't know what are we looking forward to Starfield the, the space game where you can explore all the planets and it's very serious and it's it looks like the 70s but also Todd Howard's making it so it's going to be glitchy in a good way and I don't know like I love all that shit. I love where gaming is. We got great games today. Cyberpunk, all that stuff. So realistic. It's so, it's so like, you know, whatever. <laughs> I guess real, realistic isn't what you want to say for cyberpunk. It's so, it's so believable and it's so serious. Um, and I just, I, mi- I miss the, I miss the crazy goofy shit. And I know the indie space still has that, but that's not the same. I'm talking about fucking, hey kids, dig into the bottom of your cereal box and pull out fucking this terrible SpongeBob game for your Xbox. Who fucking cares? It sucks. It looks like shit, but you're going to love it because you're seven years old and you don't know any better. I miss that stuff. And Hot Wheels 2, although being a very, very, very apt, professionally made, serious racing game, still has that childish, fun, lighthearted spirit of like the kinds of licensed games we all grew up with in, in the 90s and the early 2000s. And for that, I absolutely just adore what this game is. It's, uh, it's, just, a, it's just really, really good stuff. And to see that they're going to make more and more of it, I'm all for it. I'll be here day one. Let's do it. Fucking Hot Wheels Unleashed. Sorry, Forza Motorsport. You are now my second most anticipated racing game of the year. But yeah, Hot Wheels Unleashed 2. Trailer's out, so you can watch it if you want. It looks good. If you like the first one, I assume you'll probably like this one, too. All right. Uh, next up, we got Xbox. Uh, oh, update on achievements. Here, this this story comes from True Achievements. Windows Central also reported on it as well. Uh, Microsoft is making some adjustments to the rules for developers to put their games on the Xbox Marketplace as pertains to the, the certification process for achievements. So up until now... This problem exists, I know it's been rampant on Xbox and PlayStation for quite some time, where like diehard achievement hunters or on the PlayStation trophy hunters will will complain about this because it's 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 quite an issue where there are these like cheap little crappy cash grab no-name games that will get certified and put on the console, basically sold for two bucks and then as an excuse to just throw some like fodder gamer score. So people just trying to buff their gamer score number can just buy these shitty little no-name games where you just press start and then get a thousand gamer score and that's it basically and microsoft is cracking down on it finally and basically saying hey we're going to change the certification process for achievements so that you know people can't just do absolutely nothing and and get a game on the store for cheap gamer score and so they're going to have a more rigorous system where achievements uh can can be unlocked uh all achievements have to be unlocked 
or it can't be unlocked until after a few minutes of starting the game. So you can't just like press start and get an achievement. Uh, achievements won't be able to represent a thorough expo- sorry. Achievements must represent a thorough exploration exploration or engagement with games actual content, not just like press pause or press start and here's all the achievements. So uh, the other thing is that they said achievements uh, have to be unlocked with some kind of minimal user input um, or core gameplay loop. It can't just be like, again, just, it can't just be like uh, press a for green and there you go. There's a hundred gamer score. Now press B for red and there's a hundred gamer score and press Y for yellow. And you know, it's gotta be like actual gameplay uh, stuff. So this way they're going to kind of try and nerf the achievement spam. And the idea is that if a game gets submitted for approval and its achievements are that kind of fodder, bullshit they'll basically be denied access to being published onto the xbox store and they'll be like sorry you can't put your game here and boom it just kind of curtails that whole bullshit and um this is great this is absolutely great add some more gravity in 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 meaning behind the gamer score especially in a world where game pass exists you notice everyone's gamer scores just jump dramatically because now people can try more games and you definitely get a good feeling that some some games care about achievements more than others um you know i'm looking at you fucking redfall with your odd gamer score but also just because, you know, it's, I mean, some games, it's like fucking, it's like I get into some of the games I'm playing this week. There's one game I'm playing this week where it's like there's 12 achievements in the game and it's fucking hard getting any of these achievements. You barely, you play the whole game and get basically two or three achievements. And then other games, it's like, oh, I just played the game on easy mode and went through the eight hour campaign. And oh, well, look at that. I got 48 of the 50 achievements and there you go. You know, so it's the the whole gamut is there. And the idea is just to put some kind of baseline of like, they got to put some amount of effort and get in care into these. Otherwise it just kind of waters down, destroys the purpose of the whole meta game experience of achievement hunting. And so I think it's awesome that they're cracking down on that. I think it's taking them way too long, but better late than never and good on them. So it's good. Good update there. A new trailer was released uh, this week for the silent Hill Ascension. This is the new visual style interactive streaming series for silent hill i had more to say about this the other day but now i have i don't know what i was going to say about it because my mind's like completely wiped to this but yeah this is a live streaming interactive series uh in, instead of like a actual regular single player silent hill game so I'm, I'm excited to see like i'm not excited i'm curious to see what this game is because if it was just more of like a life is strange or a telltale kind of episodic kind of horror game i feel like i could be down for a silent hill game in that in that genre but knowing that it's like you have to be in the game real time millions of players are able to basically make decisions that affect how other players outcomes and fates of the characters go and i I don't know i don't i don't love this but the new trailer launched and the game looks good like i want to like it but i'm nervous about the way they're kind of doing this mechanic and i'm really curious to see kind of how that goes i don't know i probably should put this towards the end of the podcast but there it is um trailer's out now if you want to take a look at it uh the last thing i want to just mention is lord of the rings Gollum, worst reviewed game of the year uh the game came out the other week and it's getting just absolute shit on by reviews and um i don't know the 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 developer Daylake says uh, that they deeply regret develop, uh, delivering an underwhelming experience and pledge to in, in, in improve the game. But yeah, the game's got like it's got like a thirty-something Metacritic score, and it's just being absolutely shit on. And apparently, it's not that like the game's broken or anything. It's just that the game is just insanely uninspired and and basic. Now, 
I, I smell a little bit of it being like uh, there were some bad reviews on this game and then everyone took the narrative and ran with, oh, the game's absolute dog shit, 1 out of 10, irredeemable. But from what I can tell, because I've tried to watch videos and get a sense of what this game is, and it just looks like a very like PS2 era, like not platform, but like adventure, single player kind of game. Like just something that we kind of gr- grew out of a long time ago. Like something that might have been like a 7 out of 10 in 2004, but in today's time, it's just like, yeah, no one's really asking for this. But I don't know. It just seems like it's kind of just, it's kind of just bleh and not bad. But I just see people absolutely shitting on this game. So I just kind of want to put that out there. I'm curious what people are thinking. Is anyone playing this game? Does anybody have any opinions on it? I know Kronky bought it, but that's because he's a shill for this Lord of the Rings nerd shit. It's because he's got boogers in his nose. And that's what these nerds do is they pick their boogers and read Lord of the Rings and all that. But you know, I, I'm curious to see, like, if it, who's playing this game? What do you actually think about it? Is it as bad as they're saying? Because as someone who really loved Crossfire X, and we just lost that game the other week, I'm sitting here wondering, is there someone out here who's like, guys, Lord of the Rings Gollum is not a fucking 3 out of 10. It's actually, there's actually a lot of heart here. It's a pretty good game. Obviously, it's a little dated in its design. It's not the best looking game, but guys, trust me, it's a solid 7 out of 10. It's just people are just running away with the whole we found a bad game and trying to make it worse because I'm sympathetic to that to that situation where I feel like we do have this increasing issue today where AAA games like the best AAA games are just of such a high quality now that games that would have been like a 7 out of 10 10 years ago are now suddenly a 3 out of 10 where it's like okay well it's not like it's not like the game became unplayable and broken and stupid it's like it's just you're just not necessarily feeling or vibing with kind of that style of game in today's in today's kind of ecosystem of gaming which is okay but i don't know i just wonder is like is the game terrible or is the game just deeply whatever and i just feel like i don't know a metacritic score of like a 30 doesn't really properly capture that and i'm i don't know i i I just implore people i understand it's salacious it's 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 a curious thing you want to know what the fuck's going on when you see a game is averaging like a 30 on metacritic but also, like, ask yourself the question, why is it a 30? Is the game broken? Should we really be rating games this bad? It, I feel like it goes both ways. Like, I've been yelling at the fucking clouds for years about, like, yeah, I get it. The game's super good. Does that make it a 10 out of 10? Like, I played God of War 2018. It's a it's a really good game. It's pretty engaging. The The pacing's phenomenal. The characters are great. The, the production's insanely good. Um... The gameplay is pretty damn good, but it's not like it's not like a game where it's like, oh, I'm so addicted to it. Like the second the credits roll, I was like, good, done, done with that game. Never need to see it again. It's not that much fun. It's a really good experience, but the gameplay is not that engrossing. And everyone's like, 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10. I'm like, yeah, God of War is a great game, but is it a 10 out of 10 just because the presentation is really good? Or is it a 10 out of 10 because it's just so fun you want to go back and do it again? And like, what? I don't know. I just, I, that's not to say there's a right or wrong opinion on that. I just, I want to know like where people are at, where they flippantly throw out three out of 10, 10 out of 10, like polarizing hard in one direction or the other kind of reviews. So I'm just like, how do we, how do we end up on this? I feel like we need to be more comfortable with the like five to eight range and like a nine or a 10 or a one or a two or a three or a four. Like these should be very rare numbers. I feel like we should be talking about like six, seven, eight. Like those should be like the you know a game is like it's it's solid, it's okay, or like oh yeah it's it's good, it's seven out of ten, it's a good game, or like eight where it's like hey it's pretty damn good. But I just feel like we're just it's always so hard in one direction or another, and I'm just curious like what what people's like mental track is that leads them to that conclusion. Obviously, Metacritic is a is a 
is a uh, aggregate. It's it's all the scores kind of added up in average. It's not one person's score. So I get that. But if you know if everyone's giving it real low rankings and it averages at a thirty. How, how do we get to that? I'm just in, I'm just curious. All right, guys, let's talk, let's stop with the news for a second. We'll get into the main news in just a minute, and then in the meantime, I guess we can talk about the games I've been playing this week. I got a lot of games I've been playing. I'm really excited to get into all that. But we don't just go gung ho into what I've been playing. We first got to take a breath, take a sip of water, think about it for a minute, and go. Well, yeah, I can tell you about what I've been playing, but first, I got to tell you about what I've been eating. So. Guys, Taco Bell introduced a brand new menu item this week, or maybe it was last week, I don't know, but I had it this week, and it's called the Steak Chili Verde Fries Burrito. It's got steak, it's a little burrito, it's like a value burrito, so it's smaller, it's not not like the grilled cheese burrito where it's a fucking mega thing, it's just like a small, regular value menu style burrito, but it's got steak, it's got this chili verde sauce, like green verde, slight heat on it, but not much sauce. It's got these those uh, those seasoned fries that everyone loves so much. It's got some other stuff in it. I actually don't know what all it has in it, but I ate it. Actually, let me pull that up real quick. It has steak, chile verde sauce, fiesta strips, which are like those little corn tortilla strips, nacho cheese sauce, reduced fat sour cream, seasoned fries, and three cheese blends, uh, shredded cheese. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, that's I mean that's that's basically what I remember being in there. Yeah, this thing's good. This thing's pretty good. And here, and here's the crazy thing is you can tell that this is this this menu item is like let's do a new menu item, but be conscious of the economy and how bad things are getting because it's not eight dollars, it's not nine dollars, it's not in some fucking value box for twelve dollars. It's four dollars and fifty cents. And the Taco Bell's around me. You know, I live around Disney World, so like everything's a little more expensive than it needs to be around where I live. You get the, you get the fucking tourist bump on all the pricing here, but yeah, the Taco Bells around me are charging four and a half dollars for this thing. 570 calories too, which is pretty solid for a Taco Bell menu item. So calories, not too bad price. Not too bad. You get steak and French fries and a new sauce in there. Pretty cool. Pretty enticing. I'm a fan of this thing. It's not phenomenal. That chili verde sauce is not knocking my socks off. I love a, a, a verde sauce. I love any kind of green sauce. I feel like lately Taco Bell has been trying to go back to these verde sauces and they're not, none of them are as good as the old one they used to have in the little green pa- uh, packets back in the day. But I appreciate nonetheless that we're, we're having these kinds of sauces reintroduced to the menu. It's good stuff. The seasoned fries always work in a burrito. French fries in burrito is one of the greatest things the state of California ever contributed to, to culture. So shout out to that. Um, steak and fries, always a great combination, especially wrapped in tortilla between the cheese sauce, the sour cream and the verde sauce. You got a bunch of sauciness going on, which is great. And then you get the, you know, the obviously steak is chewy fries are mushy. So the tortilla crisps, they don't add any flavor, but they add a nice crunch. So you get that textural kind of, um, kind of variety in there. So you got soft, you get chewy, you get saucy, you got you got uh, mushy and you got crunchy. I know mushy isn't a, a thing people like to hear. Oh, mushy. But listen, you put French fries in a burrito with a bunch of sauce on it. It's not crispy. You know, it's it's mushy. That That's just the texture you get. And, and I know people don't like to think about that. But mushy, despite the word sounding not so great, is a, is a fun texture sometimes in food when used appropriately. So I think that's great. You get a really awesome combination of textures, which makes the which makes the burrito super fun to eat. And you get a bunch of good flavor. I would say the biggest downfall to this burrito is twofold. The flavor is hard to dis- discern while all these flavors should complement one another. It is just vaguely potato-y, meaty, saucy, cheesy creamy and i feel like nothing really stands out that's the biggest complaint i have with this burrito it's good 
but it's like it's like nondescript delicious. And that's sometimes what happens with some of these new Taco Bell items. Is it's like this is good, but none of these ingredients stand out on their own. It's just a not, it's just an amalgamation of vaguely deliciousness, which is it's fine, but it's not. It just doesn't make it like a top ten item or anything like that. But it is good. I highly recommend. it. I think for the price for four and a half dollars, it's worth it. My other gripe is I I just think it's a little too small. I understand that the size is how they keep the cost and the calorie count down. So you know the things I'm praising are also things I'm criticizing in a way here, but. Yeah, I just think it's a little bit too small. It's not it's not tiny, tiny, tiny. It's like about the size of like a, a quesarito or so. But I don't know, man. Like if you could make this normally when you have a steak and french fry burrito, it's usually like a big fucking California, like double XL kind of burrito. So if they made this exact same concoction, but in that larger form factor, even if it is seven, eight dollars, I might be down for that a little bit more than I am for what it currently is in its, in its state. But I mean, I guess at that point, why not? For four and a half dollars, you might as well just get two and then problem solved, right? So shout out to the uh, Steak Chile Verde Fries Burrito over at Taco Bell. Nothing about that name rolls off the tongue or, or leads into one another word, one, one word or another well, but the food is delicious. You can eat it. You can eat it in your car. You can eat it with Jafar. You can eat it not too far. You can eat it wherever you want, and it tastes good. And it's only 570 calories, so you can still keep your beach bod just in time for the summer. And uh, so that's it for what I've been eating. Uh, let's talk about the games I've been playing. God almighty. So shout out to uh, Memorial Day because we had a three-day weekend, and it was great. So I, you know, my girlfriend and I agreed. Memorial Day, summer kickoff, usually that makes the, where we live, you know, the roads are pretty busy, people flying in from all over the world, coming to Disney World, it's going to be kind of crowded, let's stay away, you know, normally we go to the theme parks on the weekend, this weekend, let's avoid the theme parks, let's avoid the roads, let's just try to stay indoors as most we can, so that was kind of the game plan this past three-day weekend, and so I was like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just sit on the couch, be a lazy sack of shit, and play Xbox for three days straight, and that's Almost exactly what I did. I did. Uh, unfortunately, I was out and about maybe a little more than I should have been. But I almost did just that. And because of that, I was able to play a lot of video games time on my on my Xbox with the controller in hand. I played the video games. So there you go. Not having a PS5 afforded me the ability to play four games this weekend. So. COD Infinite Warfare, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare 2016, developed by Infinity Ward. We talked about this a little bit last week. I started it. I got two missions in. I was saying. It was on sale, so I swiped it. I'm just trying to catch up on all the Call of Duties I missed. I largely missed that whole Xbox One era of Call of Duty. And you know what? I, now I've officially played every Call of Duty campaign ever, except for 2013's Call of Duty Ghost and 2011's Modern Warfare 3. Those are the only two I've never played. It was basically the Infinity Ward games I mostly skipped, other than, of course, the original Modern Warfare 1 and 2. But now I've basically played every Call of Duty I missed, and of course the Call of Duties I grew up with, and of course the modern Call of Duties that I think are actually quite good. And I have a lot of feelings, a lot of feedback from this era, because I've watched a lot of like retrospectives, a lot of like Actman and Actman adjacent YouTubers talk about these games, and obviously it's like everyone agrees, you know, Call of Duty 4, Call of Duty World at War, Modern Warfare 2, Black Ops, Black Ops 2, these games are regarded as like the best, when everyone loved Call of Duty. And then the modern Call of Duty games like Black Ops Cold War, the new Modern Warfare 1 and 2, I think most people agree it's like they're better than they were a few years ago, or they're pretty good, or it's kind of like Call of Duty's back to what it was, but eh, there's still the contingency of people who are like, eh, I'm just tired, Call of Duty's so old at this point, I don't give a shit, so it's a little more half and half, but I think people are generally in a good or a better place with the franchise today than they were a few years ago. But that in-between period of like Call of Duty Ghost 2013, all the way to like 
2017 World War II or maybe 2018 Black Ops 4, somewhere in that like that range, you know, Black Ops 3, Infinite Warfare, Advanced Warfare, all those games. That's the kind of like dead zone. I understand there's a bunch of like Gen Z kids right now who are growing up who for them, those were like the Call of Duties they grew up with and they're going to love those games. And unfortunately, we're going to have to endear YouTube videos in the coming years of people being like, here's why Black Ops 3 was actually the best Call of Duty. Fuck you, you're a terrible person. But until we get to that point in time, I think we're at a place where collectively we all kind of agree that that like sci-fi jetpack running on walls, Titanfall knockoff era of Call of Duty was kind of like it was like the rough time for Call of Duty. It was easy to stay away. Back in those days, I had no problem being like, I'm off. I, I'm out. I'm out. Call of Duty. I got I got Halo five. I got Titanfall two. I don't need you. Right. But man, going back and playing through all these, I just have so many conflicting feelings because some of them I'm like, OK, this game was better than I thought it'd be. And some of them I'm like. Yeah, I can see why people were really not happy with Call of Duty during this time period. And Infinite Warfare is such a tale of two stories. You know, a game like Black Ops 3, which I finally played for the first time two years ago, that game is so cut and dry. Black Ops 3 is so easy for me. And I say this as someone who loves the Black Ops games. I love Treyarch. I think they're the best COD developer. Black Ops 3 has great zombies and dog shit multiplayer and dog shit campaign. End of story. That's all you need to know. Infinite Warfare is a it's Infinite Warfare feels like, okay, now it's now it's Infinity War. Now it's the Modern Warfare guy's turn to make the exact same game Black Ops 3 was. That's what this game feels like. It's the exact same fucking game, but made by a different developer. And the results are entirely different. Because Infinite Warfare, it's the only time Infinity War had ever tried to do zombies. Zombies was always Treyarch's thing. But with this game, Infinity War for the first time agreed to do zombies. And that's the main draw of this game is it's zombies. It does the zombies in Spaceland and all the DLC is like these various like horror movie tropes, but set to Call of Duty zombies mode. And I got to say the team at Infinity War did a pretty good job. The zombies are good in this game. The maps, phenomenal. Uh, the, the setups, the scenarios, everything really good. The problem is I don't think the game feels as good to play as some of the older zombies games or even some of the newer Call of Duty games, but the maps and the creativity behind the game, really good. So the zombies overall, I would say, is actually the best reason to play this game, and that's the main reason why I picked it up. The multiplayer, and it's hard for me to judge the multiplayer because I'm coming at it from the perspective of someone trying to retroactively experience the game when it's like six years old. So obviously, we're way past the heyday. I would have had to play this game in 2016, 2017 to really get a feel for what it was like. But as somebody who's like retroactively trying to throw a couple hours at the game just to see what the multiplayer was like in this game... God damn, it's terrible. It's so bad. It's just it's just like Black Ops 3. The multiplayer is so bad. Call of Duty on these fucking generic future space maps with fucking laser guns running on walls with jetpacks is such a terrible, terrible game. It's so bad. It's so irredeemable. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. The best thing I can say about the multiplayer in this game is some of the maps have really good art design, like in the background, like some of the space levels. It reminds me of like some of the best Halo maps, where it's just like, wow, there's like actual like stars and planets and debris and ships like moving in the backgrounds. And if you stop playing the game for a second, just look around you, like the environmental art, like the, the, the fucking artwork in this game is pretty cool, especially for Call of Duty, a game that you generally think about like fucking like bro man USA shooting fucking brown people in the desert like whoa now all of a sudden we're out in outer space and like it actually is like kind of pretty to look at so shout out to that one aspect but otherwise multiplayer is complete dog shit the campaign however is where I get torn with this game because this game is really experimental and really creative and I think honestly Call of Duty Infinite Warfare it gets shit on because it's the Call of Duty that came out near Battlefield 1 which is much better near Titanfall 2 which is much better 
But Call of Duty Infinite Warfare actually has a pretty fucking cool campaign. Like, I gotta give him credit where credit's due. The opening and the ending of this game, I would say, like, the first two missions and then the last mission of this game, phenomenal. So good. Basically, what the game is is just, what if Call of Duty did Halo Reach? That's basically the story in a nutshell. Um, but, obviously, I, I think Halo Reach is far better in every conceivable way. However, that's not to say this game isn't great, because this game has some really cool shit, really awesome presentation cinematics kind of in the opening and closing moments of the campaign the problem is that whole middle section of the campaign just kind of devolves into generic typical call of duty and the reason why that's extra offensive in this game is because normally i like generic call of duty but in this game generic call of duty sucks because they introduce this jetpack wall running shit which works well in the campaign although not working in the in the multiplayer it works well in the campaign on top of that, they introduced this ability for you to kind of select missions in any order, kind of play it in a more open-ended way. Cool, except that other stuff is nonsense, and when it comes to the main missions, you play them in a linear linear uh, order, and it ends up basically just being regular Call of Duty, but with like this random hub world, nonsensical, time-padding bullshit in between. And then, th this is the real kicker. The game has this space dogfighting, like you get to pilot your, your ship and do space combat in this game, and it looks and sounds and feels amazing. It's actually really good. The dogfighting in this game is so good. And it's criminally underused. There's like, why is there no multiplayer mode for this fucking shit? Like, I would play this on multiplayer. It's so good. The way you like launch is so exciting. When you're landing your ship, it's also like they make a mini game out of it. Super cool. And then just the moment to moment controls and gunplay feel great. It's such a good space combat dog shooter, and it's just barely used in the game. There's like three instances, and one of them's only for a second. And I'm like, damn, I just wish we had a little bit more of that. And the thing is, it's like there's so many exciting utility items and moments in the in the game, especially in the beginning and the end, that I'm just like, if they had more of those those elements and those and those features that are already in the game and just spread them out a little more evenly throughout the campaign, I feel like it would have been a better a better experience. But artistically, the game looks awesome. I love the art style of the game. A lot of the guns look cool. A lot of the environments look cool. The characters kind of look stupid. Um, but like it's super fun in the opening and closing moments, and there's some really unique and cool gameplay mechanics. I just think it's oh, the, the zero gravity shit, using your grappling hook to like grapple onto this piece of debris floating around in space, and then find like a, a like a, an enemy and like shoot at him in fucking space, and then his body just goes like flying out because there's no gravity. And then it's like it's fucking cool. Like, it's really cool shit. I'm like this is a Call of Duty game. No one ever talked about this. People just brush it off as the next Call of Duty, but like this is really good stuff. However. The story sucks. The characters suck. It's hard to get invested in it. The overall plot, the overall like reason for the story, it's, it's pretty cool. It's a little derivative, but it's cool. Um, but it's like it's it's such a tale of two games where like really cool mechanics, totally underutilized. Really great opening and closing, kind of boring middle section. Really good art design, really interesting, compelling um, narrative, but just terrible characters, terrible writing, no connection, no emotional care or concern for anyone. Like it, it does, it's literally Halo Reach all the way to the very end where it's just like, you know, kind of like objective survive, everyone dies kind of thing. But it's just, I don't know, man, like it just, it doesn't, I want to love this campaign and I ended up just thinking it's a really promising and really high, it has a lot of potential, but ends up just being kind of a middle of the road campaign. So Honestly, I, I I do kind of. If you're a COD fan, and you never played it. I recommend it. It's better than a lot of other Call of Duty campaigns, but it it doesn't reach the highs of like the newer Modern Warfare games or like the the best Black Ops games like Black Ops One, Two, or Cold War. It's not like that level of good. 
you know, with the campaign, but it's not bad. In fact, I think it's underrated. It's much better than Black Ops 3, I'll say that much. It's much better than Advanced Warfare, Black Ops 3. Uh, Black Ops 4 didn't have a campaign. It's better than World War II, which I never even finished the campaign because I got so bored of it. Like, it's, it's for that era of Call of Duty, it's pretty damn good. So, it doesn't even have Ke Kevin Spacey, so you don't got to worry about that either. So... Shout out to Infinite Warfare. I'm glad I finally played it. The zombies are pretty good. The campaign was a decent time and I think a little bit underrated. And shout out to them for taking all the, the risks in, in trying to do something different with that game. Although I definitely prefer some like Modern Warfare 2019 or Modern Warfare 2, like the one that just came out last year. Because I, the campaign is so exciting. It's so like on the edge of your seat. Just awesome B-movie action bullshit. I love it. It's so good. The other thing is, like, these newer Call of Duties that have been pretty good, like Black Ops Cold War, Modern Warfare 1 and 2, 2019, 2022, like, the characters are so cool. Like, I watch them over and over again. Like, they're like Mission Impossible meets G.I. Joe. And, like, it's just all the characters. I love them. I want to buy fucking action figures and, 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 like, all the shit. It's, like, it's so it's so fun. I'm so deeply invested in some of these newer Call of Duties because I think they've really hit a stride with these campaigns. And a game like Infinite Warfare kind of sucks because I don't love those characters. I don't love any of those moments with those characters. But I do love a lot of what they built around those characters. And I feel like that game is just kind of lost to time. Written off of, as one of the bad Call of Duties. When in actuality it was, a really, it was a really cool idea with a really a lot of really promising aspects. That just ended up kind of getting washed away. So I know obviously it's like you don't feel bad for Call of Duty. It's the best selling game. I get it. But also like... You gotta understand, tons and tons of people play Call of Duty and no one pays attention to the campaign. <laughs> and I just, I feel bad for all the people that work so hard to make these really interesting campaigns only for people to just bitch and moan online about, oh, the MP5 isn't balanced properly. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But like, take the five hours to play the campaign and enjoy it because it's pretty good too. <laughs> but anyway, so that's Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. I'm basically done with that at this point. I might play a little bit more zombies because my girlfriend likes it. So it's a good thing for us to do together, but... Other than that, I'm back to Modern Warfare 2. I don't need that. Uh, the second game I played was Ravenlock. So my plan was to play Alan Wake. I bought Alan Wake Remastered. It was on sale for like 10 bucks. I'm going to play Alan Wake because Alan Wake 2 looks so good. I'm finally going to get through this game. Last time I played it, I only, only made it like two or three hours in. I'm going to finally play through Alan Wake. It's, it's a really embarrassing game in my backlog. So I got I got to get it done. Uh, Alan Wake needs an update. Okay. All right. So I'm going to play Ravenlock now. I don't know why it's here. I've been meaning to. I downloaded it a couple weeks ago. Let's give this a go. I'll play it for 30 minutes while Alan Wake updates, and then I'll play Alan Wake. I ended up getting sucked into this game and played it for four hours straight and beat it. So Ravenlock is a game that came to Game Pass a couple weeks ago, just launched by a new developer from Toronto, I believe, um, Coco Cucumber. And this game is really, really charming. I thought it was going to be like a little Zelda clone, but that's not all what it is. It is just a little third-person action, four-hour, three-hour adventure. Very heavily, like, very Lewis Carroll-inspired, very Alice in Wonderland-inspired. Aesthetically, uh, opening moments of the game are very Pokemon-inspired. And it's just this, uh, you play this, like, no-name girl, you get to name her. And then you just get set off in this little adventure. You move into this home with your parents. And then it's like you fall down the well, kind of, so to speak. And you end up in this fantastical land, basically never or basically uh, like Wonderland. And yeah, it's, it's just this really cute story. There's all these little anthropomorphic creatures and there's this dark queen evil queen that's like taking over the land and you got to find the three crests and go through the three forest areas and and collect the things and unlock the castle and defeat the queen and restore peace and happiness to the world whatever it's just a cute little saturday sunday afternoon three four hour game 
and I, I really didn't think I was going to be as grabbed by this game as I, as I was. Like, I knew I wanted to try it, but man, I really like this game. It's art style is super cute. It's like this. What if we took the N64 kind of aesthetic and like hyper stylized it to make it look a little pretty? And, and it's got like this Pokemon influence while also having this little touch of Zelda, but just being like a light, no puzzle solving, just straightforward kind of adventure game. Very rudimentary combat, just a, a sword and a shield, the shield you'll almost never use. You got a couple little magic spells, but otherwise it's basically just X to attack with your sword and that's about it. Basic little leveling system where, you know, you defeat enough enemies, you get enough uh, points to spend on upgrades and you just level up your character. That's all it is. It's just level up. It's not distributing your upgrade points to different attributes and skills. It's just simple level up from one to two to two to three to two to three, three to four, whatever, and just get a little more strength, a little more defense, all that. And it's fun because you, you do backtracking throughout the game. So you, you feel yourself as you go through previous parts of the game, as you progress the next stage of the game that like, wow, like the, the the enemies in this part of the game are super easy to fight now because I've become more powerful and now I have these other little abilities that are make the sword um, make the sword play just a little more varied and it's it's very fun. I, I guess there technically is puzzle solving, but it's it's very very light. It's like um, it's like uh, you go up to this guy and he's like, uh, I will not open the door until you bring me this feather. And it's like, how do you get the feather? It's like, well, you go fight the bird over there or something like that. You know, it's not like super intense or anything. And it'll take you two seconds on YouTube if you get stuck to figure out exactly what you're going to need to do that will take you four seconds to get back into the action it's it's a very fun well-paced little uh weekend afternoon type of game and i i really quite enjoyed my time with that that was it was charming it was cute uh, it was a lot of fun and it's one of those games that kind of gives you the achievements pretty easily uh you, you're getting achievements left and right it's basically one of those play through the whole game and you'll get 90 percent of the achievements and i liked the game so much that you know and it was it was so respectful of my time only being like three and a half hours so when i finished i was like well let's see what achievements i don't have and there was only about five achievements i didn't have i looked up an achievement guide i'm like okay i just gotta do this quest this side quest and then fully level up my character and buy a couple bombs from the shop and like let's let's see it ended up taking me like an extra 45 minutes to get the rest of the achievements. And I ended up getting a thousand gamer score out of it. And it was, you know, it's a little, it's a little cheesy with the, with the gamer score. It's a little too, too loose with the gamer score, I'll say, but it's not like you do nothing to get it. Like you, you do things. It's just a short and brief game. So there's just not much to it outside of that. But yeah, I say it's not Zelda, but it is a little bit Zelda. It's, it's, it's Zelda meets a little bit of Pokemon with Malice in Wonderland aesthetic, and it's just a, a brief, short, sweet little afternoon game, and I, I loved it a lot. I don't know. Ravenlock, highly recommend it. If you're just looking for something to try on Game Pass and, and something new and interesting to give a go, this is one of those indie games where it's like, huh, you know, I would have never bought this, never played this if it weren't for Game Pass. Game Pass absolutely introduced me to this game I otherwise wouldn't have played. Had a great time with it. It's definitely a memorable little experience that will stick with me. And I can imagine myself, you know, at the end of the year when I'm going through the games I played this year and my favorite games I played this year going, oh, Ravenlock, by no means my favorite game of the year, but certainly a game I had a lot of fun with, a, a very pleasant, unexpected surprise. Um, just such a such a great little gift uh, on Game Pass. And it's just one of those one of those reasons I love. Yeah, again, it's like why I don't want to buy the PS5 is because it's so easy for me to just have my Game Pass subscription, buy my other third party games on Xbox, and then every now and then, you know, when I'm in between Starfields and Redfalls and Halos and such, be able to just be like, yeah, I could go back to my backlog or enjoy some backwards compatibility, or I can see, you know, ingrati ingratiate myself in the in the in the um, what am I trying to say? Game Pass offering and, and, and try out new things like Ravenlock and see what that's all about and just have these really these unique and unexpected and pleasant little surprises so I, I, I absolutely love this game and highly recommend it it was a great time so that's Ravenlock 
other games I've been playing, two more. Gears 5 Hive Busters. I never finished this. I got like halfway through it when it came out. And then I was like, why did I not finish that? So Kronky and I sat down one night uh, this weekend and we played through the whole thing start to finish. It's only about two and a half hours, three hours long. Um, fun little DLC side campaign. Obviously, this was just kind of a thing they threw out to promote the Series X. It's a little additional content for Gears 5. It's nothing groundbreaking. I think it's actually some of the more boring recent Gears of War content, but the environments and locations are very pretty and, and varied and fun that way. Um, it's, it's a good little additional Gears of War dopamine hit if you're looking for some more Gears of War, but I don't have much to say about it. Um, yeah, man, I, we, we were talking about it while we were playing. I'm like, it, it just so sucks that Xbox One was so doomed at the end of the generation anyway. It's like, why even bother putting out Gears 5? What they could have done, because Gears 5 came out in 2019. It came out a year before the Series X. You might as well just held Gears 5 back and made it an Xbox Series X launch game. I understand internally they were like, well, no, Halo Infinite's our launch game. So if they if they could have saw into the future and know how things were going to go, maybe they, that's what they would have done. But, uh, man, Gears 5, the the main campaign, the overall experience, Gears 5 is so good, man. I just I got to say, Hive Busters, it's fine. It's a nice little added bonus. But overall, like the main campaign on Gears 5, oh, my fucking God, dude. That game is... I'll say I'll say it again and again and again. So underrated, such an underrated game. So 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 underrated, underappreciated. Like I I love God of War over on, on PS4, uh, PS4 and and I love all these games that you know last generation. Everyone's like this is the this is the genre this is the generation defining title. But like man, I just I feel like people slept on some of these Xbox One games. Man, like Gears Five. I understand the the untrained eye. It was just more Gears of War, but nah, this game. This game brought Gears of War to the next level, and to, to me, it's like it's the perfect marriage of that like serious, kind of modern storytelling. You know, like these like these PlayStation first party games everyone wants Xbox to have one of, where it's like this this really great emotional story experience. I feel like Gears Five is that, but just with more compelling gameplay tied to it. So I don't know. I just feel like this game just doesn't get the, the respect it deserves, and it's such a good game, and uh, I just love Gears Five. So shout out to that. Also, games like Quantum Break, which are just so underrated. But anyway, so that's the third game I played this week. And then, so you would think, okay, well, then this is when you got to Alan Wake, right? Well, no, I never actually got to Alan Wake. I'm going to get to that this weekend because I then got distracted again because after Hive Busters, Cronky was telling me about Warhammer 40k gun, uh, Bolt Gun and how he was playing that. He was telling me, don't play it right now. Play something else like Quake if you've never played Quake or something like that. And I was like... Nah, fuck you. I want to play Bolt Gun because it looks good and everyone's talking about it. So I went ahead and I bought Warhammer 40k Bolt Gun. Uh, if you have Game Pass, it's like 20 bucks instead of $21 or something like that, whatever. But, oh my god, man. I really thought I was going to have like maybe a couple of good hours with this game and then move on. But, oh, no, no, no. This is $20 very well spent. In fact, I think this game is a steal for $20. Uh, first of all, it's like an 8-hour game. It's way longer than I thought it'd be. I'm only about halfway through it. There's three chapters. Each chapter has eight levels. I'm about halfway through chapter two right now. So I'm about halfway through the game. And oh my God, this game is so, so good. It is that, I, I kind of hate, but I hate this term a little bit, but it is so appropriate. This boomer shooter genre that we're talking about, like this throwback to like the old Quake, Doom, Duke Nukem, Wolfenstein style games. And how like we're seeing this resurgence with games like Prometheus last year and all this stuff coming out. And the Slayer's X that I was just talking about. But yeah, Warhammer 40k Bolt Gun is just another one of these games. But it's so good. It feel, Again, it feels like it, it's one of those games that like takes that like N64 PC FPS shooting art style. 
and then like stylizes it in a way that makes it go from like, ew, that's ugly. That's just what they had to work with at the time to make it look like actually stunning. Like I, I adore, I'm infatuated with this art style, with this graphical style. It looks so good. Um, developed by this developer, I have no clue who they are. Aroche Studio, Aroche Studio, based in the UK. Um, actually, they I, I have played something else they've made. They've made another game. No, I, I recognize their logo, but I do, I've never played another one of their games. But anyway, this game is so good. Uh, it, I, and, you, and you should know because it's it's um it's published by Focus Entertainment. And Focus Entertainment, I swear to God, they're just becoming the, like one of the best publishers. Everything they work with is just so so good. They're such a good publisher. But yeah, this game is fucking amazing. It's straightforward, no nonsense. Just shoot, shoot, shoot. It's very much like those old style games, you know, search around for the key or the access key or card or whatever, open the door, shoot the enemies, clear the room, move on to the next room. The only way it's like puzzly or any other element is just that, you know, sometimes you got to like backtrack and figure out where this key goes and stuff like that. But it's not, it's not like puzzly or confusing or anything like that. It's very straightforward and very, it actually takes really skillful level design to kind of appropriately guide the player towards the right place after they find the key card and where they got to backtrack to get, you know, it actually takes really skilled game design to be able to do this appropriately without just getting the player lost. And this game has it. It feels just like playing like Doom 2 or something like that. And uh, oh boy, it's so good. It's so good. You get a chainsaw as like a melee ability, which you can like rev the chainsaw and extend the attack. So fun. It's got a machine gun, shotgun, uh, a heavy a heavy machine gun, and like a blaster kind of bazooka type thing. It's just energy beam ball gun. But God, it's just it's so good. Like you have a dash move, you have a run, you have your chainsaw, you have your different guns. It's just it's just it's doom. You know, it's like chaining all the different abilities and attacks and movements and always keeping the pace going. You never want to stop. You never want to slow down. You just want to keep the momentum, shooting the enemies, doing the dance, running around, switching this gun to this gun to the chainsaw to the jump to the dash and just kind of traversing the world and everything. It just, it's such a satisfying gameplay loop. And it's tough as nails too. I, I played, I played like the whole first chapter on medium mode and I was getting my ass kicked. So I had to bump it down to easy mode. I'm on the easiest mode and it's, it's pretty easy now, but it's, um, I wish I could get something kind of in between easy and medium mode, but, uh, it's, it's, it's not, you know, I'm, st- I'm still occasionally dying even on e- the easiest mode. So it's, you know, there's like four or five difficulty modes. I don't know how the fuck you play this on one of the harder modes. It's a tough game, but it is so, so good. It's so visually just, uh, jaw droppingly beautiful. Honestly, I, it's, it's one of those rare games where it's like, I have basically no criticism of it so far. I'll say the only, the only thing I can complain about this game is I feel like because you play as like a tank character, it's annoying when you jump and you land a jump and then the controller vibrates just a little too much. But like that's such a petty, just nonsensical complaint. Otherwise, I'm just having just the best time with Warhammer 40K. It is such addicting. It's 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 one of those like video game crack experiences. It's so fun. It's just pure joy. The story's stupid. It's mostly delivered through loading screens. I don't care. Just gameplay bliss phenomenal cannot recommend it enough warhammer 40k gun bolt gun if you enjoy these style games i tried prometheus last year for whatever reason wasn't able to get into it this game is not that situation at all i just adore this experience top to bottom it's so so good so please for love of god play it maybe we'll come to game pass in the future but if you're willing to jump on it 20 dollars is a steal for this game this is a game that i could see myself replaying finishing it beating it rolling credits and then playing it again and i don't do that a lot i like to move on to the next game but Boy, oh boy, this game is so good. I, I I might have to play it again. It's just, it's such a great game. I don't think it's going to be my favorite game of the year. Uh, because, I mean, there's just, there's not, there's just other things I look for in games that I'd like to have, you know, my favorite games speak to me on, whether it be writing or some kind of story narrative element. 
but th- this game doesn't have any of that. But from the most important perspective, which is just you know the gameplay, the moment to moment gameplay, this game is pure, masterfully crafted crack cocaine, and is so goddamn addicting and fun to play. So shout out to Warhammer Bolt Gun. It's such a great game. If you like Doom style games, please, please, please do yourself a favor and check out this game. And that is it for what I've been playing this week. Thank you, Long Weekend. You gave me a lot of time to catch up and do some good gaming. So, yeah, with that said, guys, let's take a quick break, and then we'll jump into the main news, and then we'll, uh, man, it's an hour and 40 minutes. We're going long already this week, guys. So, yeah, let's get into that news. All right, so I got all my predictions for next week here, all my notes, <laughs> but we're going to have to go for those next week, so let's uh, save that those for the, for the special show. Getting into our actual news for this week, I want to talk about because there's not a lot of huge news, obviously, happening in Xbox right now. We're waiting for the showcase. That's when we're going to get all the juicy details that will keep us fueled and satiated for the next couple of months. But until then, there's something kind of going on. Obviously, we got a lot of Fallout news, not Fallout the video game, but like news that has fallen since the PlayStation showcase last week. And uh, it sparked kind of a, a larger conversation I want to kind of introduce here about where the industry is in general. This is not a dig at PlayStation. Um, it has been in the past a dig of mine at Xbox, but now I think we're starting to see a, possibly a larger issue. So I just want to bring this up from VGC. Sony has reportedly scaled back the size of scaled back the size of Naughty Dog's The Last of Us multiplayer games, commonly referred to as factions, following an evaluation of the project by the platform holder and the newly acquired team Bungie. According to Bloomberg, Jason Schreier, the number of people working on the project has been reduced, partially due to the Destiny Studios' feedback as to its quality and viability. Quote, Bungie raised question about The Last of Us multiplayer project's ability to keep players engaged for long periods of time, which led to the reassessment, the report claims. According to the publication, while the game has not been canceled, many of the developers have been moved to other projects and a small group remains while Sony reevaluates the direction they want to take. Shortly before uh, Bloomberg's reporting of the publication, Naughty Dog seemingly preempted with a sta- uh, with a, the story with a statement on social media in which it indicated that the Last of Us multiplayer game would require more time in development. Quote, it said, as developments continued, we realized the best, what's best for the game is to give it more time. Our team will continue to work on the, uh, on the project, sorry, we'll continue to work on the project as well as our other games in development, including a brand new single player experience. Earlier in the week, Sony revealed that it's using Bungie to rigorously vet its many in development live service games. Okay, so let's stop for a second. We know PlayStation's big thing right now is they've had so many narrative-driven, single-player, first-party exclusive titles, and that's been, been kind of like fueling their first-party initiatives for a long time. It's been working for them great. You know, everyone loves and respects Sony. They make great games. No issue there. Xbox, for the longest time, has kind of been seen as like, they're so multiplayer-focused. It's like, yeah, Halo, Gears, these games have story modes, but like people stick around for these games for the multiplayer. And then, you know, in Forza, it's a multiplayer game. And then everyone plays games like Call of Duty and shit on, on Xbox, and these are multiplayer games. It's always multiplayer, multiplayer, multiplayer. And that's always kind of been the criticism levied at Xbox. However, we're now at this funny, funny turning point for, for both brands where... I think Sony is looking at, even though they're doing great and they have, you know, these single player games selling 10 to 20 million copies and doing phenomenally well, they're, they're looking at, of course, games like Fortnite and these other games as a service type games, these games that you develop one time and then they just fucking print money forever and ever. And all you got to do is keep a team on supporting it with, with new events and, and seasonal content and Bungie, of course, with destiny. And they're saying 
That's where the money is. That's where the real money is. Obviously, Sony makes great money off of things like Call of Duty and Destiny because they get a 30% share of everything sold through the PlayStation Network. So when you play Destiny on your PlayStation and you buy silver, the in-game currency, or you buy the new season pass or whatever, 30% of that purchase goes to Sony because you did it on their storefront. When you play Fortnite and you buy a $20 um, fucking Dragon Ball Z skin for your Fortnite character, uh, 20, 30% of that purchase goes to Sony because you're doing it on their platform. Same works for other platforms as well. And they make so much fucking money off that shit that what, what's happening is the past few years, Sony's been looking at it and go, they go, you know, we put hundreds of thousands of dollars and five, six years into developing these amazing first per, single player, first party, narrative driven boundary pushing experiences with like last of us and ghost of tsushima and all that but the problem is they're expensive they're time consuming they're risky as hell and when you release them you make a shit ton of money in a very short period of time and then that's it until the next game meanwhile you put out something like a Fortnite, the opportunity for it to succeed because that space is so competitive is a lot harder you know like the the, the likelihood that you'll succeed and build a sustainable live service game it's just, it's so slim. There's, it's basically just a fucking crapshoot as to which games work and which ones don't. But if you can manage to get one out the door that works, you got a fucking cash cow on your hands. Microsoft knows that. They got Sea of Thieves and Minecraft. That's their, that's their version of those games, you know? Um, you know, Epic knows that with Fortnite, uh, all these different companies. We got all these different games out there just kind of doing that. And obviously, Bungie knew that well with Destiny. So you look at what PlayStation's been trying to do. They're kind of going in the direction of Xbox, while Xbox is trying to go in the direction of PlayStation a little bit. Now, I don't think Xbox is trying to strip copy PlayStation. They've obviously embraced their kind of diverse portfolio of games, especially with all these teams they've acquired. They got multiplayer games, they got single player games, they got strategy games, they got first person shooters, they got everything mature, regular content, racing games, whatever. Xbox is trying to run the gamut, but no doubt Xbox feels a pressure to try and deliver more high quality narrative driven single player experiences. And that's definitely something we're going to see more and more of with games like, I don't know, Starfield or Perfect Dark or Fable. So clearly they care about it. Clearly they want it avowed. That's what these games are going to be, even though we're still going to have multiplayer games like Forza and Contraband and uh, State of Decay and Sea of Thieves and all that. So best of both worlds, right? Well, Sony's trying to do the same thing. They've got the single-player base covered. Now they're trying to get the multiplayer base. Xbox has got the multiplayer base. They're trying to get the single-player base covered. They're both kind of fighting for the opposite thing, to, to have a more well-rounded portfolio. So PlayStation, you know, a lot of the disappointment with PlayStation right now is they're buying up all these studios and creating all these live service multiplayer games that nobody's asking for because Sony's audience has been trained, you know, to expect and reasonably so these really excellent high quality multi-million, you know, hundred, $200 million um, single player narrative driven kind of one time experiences. And so that's kind of the situation with PlayStation. That's why it's like, where was Naughty Dog? Where was Ben Studios? Where was Sony Santa Monica? Where was this game? Where was that game during this PlayStation pre presentation? It's like, because everyone's making a fucking multiplayer game right now. And it's like, why did Sony buy Destiny? Was it just to kind of, or why, why did Sony buy Bungie? Was it just to kind of spit in Xbox's face? It's like, well, no, it's because they, they need someone who has the chops to kind of shepherd this initiative. Because we've seen teams like, for example, Ubisoft, Try their hand at these live service games. Cross, you know, X Defiant, which is still to be released, is shaping up great. I played it a bunch of times. It's a great game, right? 
We don't know if it'll stick or not, but it's a great game. They also tried that Hyperscape game. That totally bombed. They've tried tons of shit that keeps bombing. They tried to do that um, Ghost Recon live service game that they ended up not even releasing because everyone shit on it. It was that Battle Royale Ghost Recon game no one wanted. So it's tricky. We've seen teams like, for example, Ubisoft just completely not be able to pull this off. And Sony's looking at it saying, we have a really, really highly respected reputation and name to uphold. And we want to make sure we deliver great content. And also, we don't want to waste a ton of money investing in these games that are just going to bomb, not resonate with audiences, and then be a waste of our time and money. So they're using Bungie as basically the super awesome, hyperly seasoned, expertly crafted team of veterans who are able to go through these PlayStation studios and say, hey, this team's working on this multiplayer game, this team's working on this multiplayer game, we think this works, we think that doesn't, we think this is a good idea and you need to take that further, we think break this off from the game and then you got a great great idea or remove that element and this game will be better. And that's what they're having basically happen is, is Destiny, or I keep saying Destiny, Bungie be these like auditors of these multiplayer initiatives for Sony, especially considering a lot of their first party teams are not really multiplayer centric developers to begin with. So that's what we're seeing a lot with PlayStation. It's great. It's their whole thing. They're on It's their whole journey. It's, it's a whole different tale. But the reason I bring it up is to say, go back to Sony's presentation last week. And why weren't there any games? Why were people disappointed? Why was the showcase a letdown for most people, for most PlayStation fans even? It's because they're trying this multiplayer live service stuff. And it's hard to get these games out the door. And they're time consuming and they're a lot of work and they're daunting as hell to make and nobody knows what they're doing and it it's it's tricky, tricky stuff. And so you look over on Xbox and it's like, well, what's their excuse? And it's like, well, because they're treading new territory and it's tricky, tricky stuff. And getting these live service things off the ground is is, is rough business. And and three four three has been struggling with with Halo, and that's been a whole mess behind the scenes and that we didn't know about until recently. And it's just I don't know, I, I used Ubisoft as an example. So we got them, and then we see PlayStation kind of dealing with it too, and now we see Xbox dealing with it, and it's just, huh. It just seems like there's this overwhelming, this thing plaguing the games industry where just games cannot be, and obviously, you know, games with troubled development histories and and things that worked or didn't work, that's always going to be a story that's always been a story as long as gaming's been around. However, we're just seeing it take a really, really, really big toll on where we are in the games industry today. Obviously, as we always say, the pandemic played a part in it. Obviously, we lost a lot of time in development and pushed things back and delayed things a lot with work from home and quarantining and the pandemic and all that. However, we've gotten to a point where we're far away enough from that where it's like, I don't think that's all there is to the story. At this point, it's like, where's the reveal? What is this studio doing? Why has it been so long? What are they working on next? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of it is just the 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 industry is moving these really uncertain directions. This generation, when you think about it, like I, w- I was thinking about the other day, the Xbox Series X will be three years old in December. And I'm looking around saying, what are the games that justify this console's existence? I, I don't fucking know. Halo Infinite clearly isn't it. Everything else is still yet to be com- yet to be released, and you know you can laugh about it and say, "Well, PlayStation's got more." T- well, we'll think about it. what does PlayStation have? They had a Ratchet and Clank game, okay. Ratchet and Clank could be on any console, right? Um, they had a new God of War game that was also on PS4. They had a new Horizon game that was also on PS4. They're kind of in the same boat right now, where it's like their console's almost three years old, and they don't really have anything that's like said, "Boom, here is why PS5 couldn't have been PS4. Here's why PS5." And it's just everything in the industry is in such a laggy lull of a state. 
It's because everyone's going after these super expensive, super dynamic, super large scale games as a service type, whatever games, cast a wide net. And we all have to pivot as a result of it. Sony's going deeper into PC and multi-platform support. Xbox is, uh, Xbox is all in on Game Pass and PC and mobile and streaming and all of this shit. And it's like the focus is so is so spread apart and so blurred at this point that it's just like nobody is just working on games to support these platforms. And I feel like we have a larger situation here where. We're just we're just in the middle of this 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 generation of gaming that I feel like is kind of just not definable. Uh, you know, a huge rumor for that PlayStation showcase was they were going to have their PS5 Pro, their kind of mid generation upgrade revealed, and that it was going to come bundled in with Spider Man Two, and it was going to be a whole marketing push. And that even you know one of the one of the rumors is that even Microsoft you know Microsoft's obviously working on one as well, and they might even announce theirs this summer. You know they might show it during the showcase and be like, hey, Starfield unfortunately is 30 FPS on on Xbox Series S and X. However, uh, it's 60 FPS on PC and it's also 60 FPS on this. Introducing the Xbox Series X version X. It's got two more teraflops and can run Starfield at 60 FPS. It's our mid-generation upgrade like the Xbox One X was. Sure, they can reveal that. They can show that. But here's the thing. It's like maybe these boxes are ready to go and be shown, but they're not being shown because we're almost three years in and these fucking boxes haven't even proven themselves yet. You know, the only thing about my Series X I love so fast is that it's just snappier. And that's great. Don't get me wrong. I don't regret buying it. I love it. But, like... It's just snappier. I don't feel like I've played a game yet on my Series X where I'm like, oh, this just this just couldn't have been done on the Xbox One. I mean, I guess. Uh, I, I, sure, sure. Like, games definitely run and perform better. But it's just, I, I guess it's not, I don't really mean even mean to talk about performance. Because if we're just talking about performance, yeah, sure. The Xbox Series X clearly runs games better than the Xbox One. No doubt about it. But it's just we haven't seen an output, an output from these first-party teams that have like defined these new consoles yet. You know, at this point in the Xbox One generation, we had like Quantum Break and Halo 5 and Gears and almost Gears 4, I think. And I don't know, like we're around that time where like we had games, we had Titanfall and Rise, Son of Rome, and all these exclusive games. The PS4 had um the Order 1886 or whatever it's called, and fucking Bloodborne and and all all, all this other shit already. Uncharted uh, 4. But, like, I don't know. It's like everything that's come to PS5 is also on PS4. And everything that's come to Xbox has been delayed a hundred times. And we're all chasing these games as a service. And it's just the the whole pipeline is so gunked up right now. And I just don't believe the pandemic was the only factor. I believe we have something a little more endemic going on. And I don't know if it has to do with the expected scale and size of games. If it has to do with the push for player retention with these live service elements. I don't know if it's just everyone has suddenly become incredibly inept at leading game development teams and publishers, and I can't imagine that's the case, but maybe. But it seems like the only fucking people these days that can get games out the door are indies and double-A publishers, you know, like your Focus Entertainments and and such like that, because I just I just don't see games coming from anyone right now. It's just been such a dry spell, and it's, it's weird getting a Bloomberg report that freaking... Naughty Dog, like the crown jewel of the games industry, if you ask most critics and pundits, is like out here struggling with this multiplayer experience that 
Bungie's out here saying, hey, this, you know, it's, what they got here isn't bad, but it's not sticking, you know? It's not like some people are going to stick around for a long time. And and I know there are people who are like, well, who are Bungie to talk on this? Shut up, dude. Shut up. Bungie have been making Destiny for longer than a decade. Destiny, the game, has been on the market for almost a decade as of next year. The fact that Destiny is not only as big as it was at launch, but has only grown and grown and retained a massive player base over a decade is such a testament. You don't have to love the game, but it is undeniably a testament to the fact that Bungie know how to make a really excellent, fun, addicting, sticky game that will keep players coming back for more and more and more. They are the, in my opinion, definitive experts on the matter. Maybe only uh, maybe only second to uh, Epic, if even that. And it's, it's just, Sony obviously bought them. It's nice to have Bungie, obviously. They're one of the great developers of all time. But Sony obviously bought them for their insight and their expertise in the area. Because this is where the whole ecosystem is headed. It's, it's multiplayer elements, it's live service elements. And what do you do when this trend is being forced onto everyone and it's just not working out? You're pushing it onto freaking Donnie Dog, one of the most beloved developers of all time. And it doesn't look like it's panning out. <laughs> you know, the story goes that Redfall is the way it is because it was kind of pushed onto them to do more multiplayer centric stuff, something that could have more content, like a content roadmap and more stuff down the road. And well, look how that turned out. It's, I think it's a pretty good game, but it's clearly a far cry from what the developers capable of doing at their best, which is what, where most people kind of fall on the, on the subject matter. And it's just, I don't know, man, like what is going on with gaming? I'm a little worried. Like, like, do I have to worry about Perfect Dark being some fucking live service game? Do I have to worry about Fable being a live service game? Is that gonna? Do we have to raise concern about these these titles now? Like, is it not enough to just make a really killer Fable game and to put it out there and sell millions of copies and have people engage with it on Game Pass and get tons of new subscribers? Like, is that not enough? Or is everything gonna be this constant Ubisoft can't get a game out anymore, PlayStation can't get a game out anymore, Xbox can't get a game out anymore, because we're all chasing this fucking games-as-a-service crack that so few of us actually can get, but we're all so addicted to. And not as players, but I mean as as developers, as publishers, trying to push for these for these elements in more games. And I, I don't know, man. It's just, it's just concerning seeing a story like that. I don't know. Like, if you told me this story about... Basically, any other developer, I'd feel less on edge about it. But it's like, damn, Naughty Dog. You, you like, you had you had Bungie audit Naughty Dog, and they basically said, yeah, I mean, like, this thing isn't really coming together the way you probably want it to. And now people are being taken off the project, and Sony's reevaluating. There's a chance this project could be canceled. You know, man, what a huge blow that would be to the reputation of Naughty Dog. But an even worse blow if they took all this time making a game that's multiplayer-centric that doesn't pan out when it releases. So it's like, what do you do at that point, man? This is like such a conundrum we're facing in the in 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 games in general. And honestly, it just feels there's so few players not really not really obsessively chasing this. You know, Activision are so lucky that they have Call of Duty that they don't have to worry about as much. They have Overwatch. I guess now they have Diablo, so they don't, you know, they have World of Warcraft. They kind of just fell into it a little bit with what they had already. Um, so they, they're on easy street. But, you know, for everyone else, it's like, you know, EA hasn't put out as many games <laughs> in a long time. And really the only the only teams out here just pumping out games like like the old like the old days are like Capcom, Square Enix, the Japanese publishers that just fuck you. We're just going to make games. 
But everyone in the West seems just so hellbent on, it's the biggest open world. Oh my God, you could just spend 200,000 hours in this open world. It's so open, it won't even be closed. And then like, oh, it's it's live service. You can interact with people and every two months, um, every, the characters will have to shave because their game, their hairs will, will grow in real time in the game. It's like, I don't know, man. Like, yeah, it's cool. It's cool that every fucking game is a part-time job and is so open-ended and has so many awesome ways to engage. But like, man, oh man, at what point do we admit this is just economically infeasible for everyone to be doing it? We're just asking too much. We're building games that are just way too ambitious, way too large, and it's like, couldn't we exert that same amount of effort and energy and creativity in something that is way smaller and way more confined and way more focused, and then make more measured, take more measured financial risks and create games that are just, I don't know, like unique for other reasons other than just world is big, go explore, or world is alive, go interact with players and play all the time. I don't know. For example, like one of our small stories to wrap up at the end of the day is that, I'll, and I'll just go to it now, uh, some ex-CD Projekt Red developers have started a new team and are working on a new project. Um, Cyberpunk co-game director and and, and uh, Witcher 3 Wild Hunt co-game director, uh, Met, Metuz, I can't pronounce these names, Metuz Kanik, uh, who is like left the studio along with some producers and other, um, other, other team members of CD project, Red To form a team called blank. And of course, you know, based out of Poland, they're trying to do the whole, like, Hey, we're open. We're trying to hire blah, blah, blah. But they're basically, this is their basic, this is their opening statement. Like their, their mission statement as a team. They said, we're thrilled to announce blank and to start expanding our incredible team uh, and after working many years on an increasingly conservative industry, we're ready to make bold, impactful projects and share our unique creative values. So I want to be clear. They don't mean conser- conservative, and the, and the quote goes on longer. They don't mean conservative like, our industry is so conservative, they won't let us show boobs or, or mention the Big Bang Theory. Like, that's not what I mean by conservative. It's like, it's conservative like these big publishers are so unwilling to sign off on anything that they don't see as either a safe bet or the way, the way in which the wind is blowing and therefore the way they have to invest, that it has creatively stymied these developers and create a conservative, a, a financially conservative industry where it's like, we will not fund your project unless you build this thing because this is what players will, will, will play. This is what data shows players are going to engage with. And that's what we run into. It's like, why Why did Cyberpunk have to be as big in detail as it is? I don't fucking know. Why Why does GTA 6 have to take 15 years to make and be so over the top? I don't, I don't know, man. Because apparently data shows that players will engage with your game forever and ever and ever if you do that. But isn't there something that we kind of lose when every game just... Can you imagine Halo Infinite if the, if the objective was just to make Halo 6? Imagine everything they did with Halo Infinite where it's like, we're trying to go back to more Halo 3, like equipment-based arena-style shooter. And we're trying to honor the old art style of Halo again, which is two things they did do with Halo Infinite quite successfully. So let's say they keep that. But otherwise, the objective with Halo Infinite was to make Halo 6. No open world, no Far Cry-style sandbox, no live service anything. You just make the next entry in the Halo series. 
What if that was the pressure that was put on them? And, and listen, we don't know the story, honestly, in that regard. We don't know if Microsoft put the pressure on them and said, it needs to be open world, it needs to be a games as a service. We don't know that. We know that 343 wanted to make an open world Halo game for quite a while. They talked about it even during the Halo 5 days, and that's why Halo 5 has those weird interstitial kind of walk around for three minutes and the level's over kind of missions is because they were experimenting with open-ended level design and things like that. And so I'm sure it is something 343 wanted to do, but can you imagine what the games industry would be like if it was just like, yes, we all know Cyberpunk and Witcher were cool games. You don't have to make an open world game just because they did. Make the game you want to make. Yes, we all know Minecraft makes a fucking ton of money or yeah, Minecraft or, or Fortnite, whatever, Fall Guys. That does not mean your game has to be a live service multiplayer experience we know destiny's really really good you know ea could have said to bioware we know destiny's really fucking awesome we're all addicted to it such a good game if you're inspired by that and you want to make something like that by all means but if you want to go make another fucking dragon age or a new mass effect game that's nothing like destiny because that's what you want to make do that because that makes a lot of money too and that's the problem it's like from these publishers i have no problem with sony ea microsoft whatever being like, we want to start a new team or start a new team within a team that's focused on making great multiplayer experiences or a big open world, but create a team around that goal, around that project, and then get the people who are equipped to do so, have the desire to do so, and have the inclination to do so, and make a team around that, and then go build that project. But it's this like, Naughty Dog, you guys really do a great job of making these games where little girls die and zombie apocalypses happen and everyone's sad for like 20 hours. Do you think you can make a Fortnite for us? Like, instead of doing that, just fucking let these teams do what they do best. Because when left to their own devices, these teams fucking make good games. And that's one actually that's that's one point we actually gotta give to Microsoft of all of all the of all the uh game runner publisher people, right? Is that they kind of have that laissez faire, like just, hey, bro, just go make what you want. Like, look at Obsidian. How did we get Pentiment? How did we get Grounded? How did we get games like that? Because they're just like, bro, just money, time, go do your thing, make the games, right? And obviously, they're in the position, the privileged position where Game Pass kind of allows and incentivizes and encourages more content like that. But that's what we need, even from these big guys. And it's just never going to happen because, you know, not, not to sound like a, oh, fuck capitalism guy, you know, not to turn this into that kind of conversation, but it's like, Listen, man, if you're Sony and you're looking around, you're going, look what Epic Games is doing. Look at what Bungie's doing. Ah, we got to get in on this. I get it. You have like the obligation to your shareholders to be like, this is the trend the market is taking. We must follow this trend and therefore compete in this space. And that is how we will grow the business and make more money for the shareholders and ultimately money, money, money and fuck everything else. I get it. You have to do it. But at the same time, like, what are we losing? Because the past three years of gaming, I understand again, the pandemic happened and it delayed things and gunked everything up. Again, we're getting to that point. This is the summer where between Summer Game Fest, between Xbox's showcase, between Sony's showcase, I expect to see tons of gameplay, tons of game reveals, tons of release dates, solid release dates, and tons of variety of gaming because we're we're past the pandemic enough to where that shouldn't be the thing holding us up. And it seems like the thing that's holding us up is there's just this weird, arbitrary, but totally necessary pressure for everything to be the biggest, most expansive open world you've ever seen. There will be so many NPCs to interact with. You'll think you're married to an NPC. You'll go to bed with a fucking dialogue tree uh, every night. And, and, and when when someone asks you uh, what time you're coming home from work, you'll only know how to how to give fucking directions for the next quest line because you'll be a goddamn mush-brained NPC by the time you're done playing our epic, 
awesome quest where every character has blue hair and has a weird art, a Cal arts art style and fucking whatever. Cause every game looks the goddamn same these days. I don't know, man, just fucking, it's just, it's just a, it's a huge concern I have looking at this. It's actually one of the few things that keeps me pretty optimistic and excited for Xbox is I'm like, okay, well say what you will. But like the, the, the one thing I know is whatever these games end up being fabled is nothing like avowed is nothing like state of decay is nothing like years of war is nothing like Forza. All right, at least we got like a fucking spice of life thing going on here. But I swear to God, if they're all open world games as a service games, I swear to God, if Forza Motorsport ends up being like, I got to fucking save my car son from dying. And then I got to fucking car my way around an open world as a car and fucking uh, unlock the checkboxes and then fucking use the car to build the car mechanics and then do Zelda Breath of the Wild shit. I swear I'm going to fucking lose it. I swear I'm going to get into knitting. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll sell my Xbox. I'll become, I'll, I'll become a knitter. I'll do it. So anyway, I just want I just want to talk about that because I feel like this is becoming worse and worse and worse. And I blame Fortnite and I blame Witcher 3, but that's only a joke and I do blame everything. I just, I'm, I don't know, I'm just concerned about where the industry's headed with this stuff. So it's, it's weird. It's weird that PlayStation was just, it had absolutely nothing to say for two years. And then they come back and they're like, all right, we still got nothing to say. <laughs> it's like, that's that's concerning, man. PlayStation always has something to say. When, when they talk, that is, you know, they don't talk unless they have something to say. And this time they talked and they had nothing to say. So Xbox, you have a lot of opportunity to fucking kill the, in, in the next week or so. But man, I hope, I hope your showcase isn't as bad as they've been the past few years. God forbid we just get another million CGI cutscenes. Um, anyway, let's move on. Apparently, there's also a rumor that Sony is in talks to acquire CD Projekt, the publisher CD Projekt, uh, but the CEO is dismissing that rumor as well. I put that in here, but we don't have to get into that. I don't, I don't really have anything to say. They're denying it. There's a lot of rumors suggesting it's happening. We'll have to wait and see how that kind of goes. But yeah, let's start to wrap up. It's go- We're going long. We're over two hours here. So let's, uh, let's talk about from Xbox Wire. We got some new game release. Uh, I'm sorry new games with gold as well as new game pass games. So let's go through that real quick. So to wrap up, we got games of gold for the month of June. We only get two games now instead of four, as you know, and they're always crap Uh, for the whole month of June. You have uh, adios and the veil shadow of the crown, both uh, available. Um, The veil will be available June 16 to July 15. And uh, yeah, for those who don't know, adios is, a cinematic first-person game about sticking to a complicated decision. I know nothing about this game, but I actually might check it out. I don't know. I like those cinematic first-person walking sim-type games. I don't know. And then the next one is The Val Shadow of the Crown, um, which is a story-driven action-adventure that utilizes full potential 3D audio and haptic controller feedback to deliver a visceral gameplay that shatters the barriers between player and character. So, Free games, download them. Why not? Add them to your library. Free games are free games, baby. And then for Game Pass, we got an update for this month. So available now through Game Pass, uh, Chicory the Colorful Tale and Forward Pioneers are available now on Game Pass. Forward, uh, for World Pioneers, Far World Pioneers, God, I cannot read, is a day one Game Pass game and it's on console and PC. Uh, coming soon, however, we got a bunch of games. Actually, the time you're listening to this, some of these might already be out. Car Mechanic Simulator 2021 is coming out June 1st. I played one of the Car Mechanic Simulator games. That game's actually pretty fun. Uh, it's very soothing. Slayer X Terminal Aftermath Vengeance of the Slayer, that's the game I was talking about earlier today, comes out today. It looks really good. The Big Con, uh, June 1st as well, Cloud Console and PC. On June 6th, we got Amnesia the Bunker and Hypnospace Outlaw. And then on June 8th, we got 
Rune Factory 4 Special, if you're looking for a little Animal Crossing love, and uh, Stacking, so that's June 8th. And then finally on June 13th, uh, Dor Dorgani? No, Dor Dordogni? Cloud Console and PC, Game Pass, Day 1. Guys, just name your game something like Stick, or like Green Leaf, or like Wet Water, something I can pronounce, please, for love of God. And then on June 15th, we got a handful of games leaving Game Pass, so make sure you try these out if you haven't already, because these are some beloved games, including one I've really been meaning to play and haven't played yet. So we got Bridge Constructor Portal, Chorus, which is the game I've really been wanting to play but haven't ever gotten to, so I should try that out. Maneater, which is apparently pretty good. Mortal Shell, Serious Sam 4, and Total War 3 Kingdoms. So June, you have until June 15 to play them. Otherwise, they're leaving Game Pass. Rest in peace. Guys, that's going to do it for all of our news this week. Let's real quick go into the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, not important enough to make their own discussions, which we do have a, a good handful of here. So let's pour through about five or six of these real fast. First up, Devolver Digital will be holding a product showcase next month on June 8th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time as part of Summer Game Fest. So Devolver Digital, the indie game publisher, if that even makes sense, will host a showcase as they have been doing the past couple years. Additionally, Like a Dragon developer Riga Godoku Studio will hold a product showcase next month on June 15th at 11 p.m. Eastern Time, very late at night. They're going for Japanese time, not American time. Uh, the Yeah, that's when the showcase will take place, but they have not announced what they'll be showing or talked about any of that. They said stay tuned for more details on the live stream. Microsoft is planning to launch two Starfield-themed accessories, it's been claimed. Billy, Bill Bill uh, Bill Boo Kun the data miner online has uh, an excellent track record of product leaks and has unveiled a special edition Xbox controller, uh, wireless headset, and at next month's game showcase. So apparently at the showcase next week, we will see a Starfield headset and controller, which is probably real, but uh, yeah, that's that's leaked. So the digital showcase will, of course, be on June 11th, so be sure you write in with your predictions now so we can talk about them when the time comes. And then last two here. NetEase has announced an opening of another studio, this time based in Tokyo. Pincool, led by President and Representative Director Ryutaru Ichimura, who joined uh, Enix back in 2000 before it was merged with Square in 2003, and became chief product, uh, sorry, chief producer of the Dragon Quest series, a pretty popular series. Ichimura was a lead uh, producer on Dragon Quest VIII, and Dragon Quest was at 11, and has also been, or 9, and has also been involved with uh, producing Dragon Quest anime series, live events, and exhibitions. Finally, VGC reports, Konami has confirmed, for those who need to hear this, that neither Hideo Kojima nor Kojima Productions are involved in the Metal Gear Solid Delta Snake Eater remake. So, that's it for all of our news, you guys. Then we can round out the podcast with the best segment, the only segment that matters which is the comments, the shout-outs. Now, I didn't order these like I should have, so now we're just going to read them in a random-ass order. However, I got a, a, a couple to go through with you, so you know how it works. You head on over to youtube.com slash xboxonpodcast. You click on the latest episode of the podcast. You can leave any kind of comment you want. You can say anything nice, like, Jesse, you smell nice. I like that you have multiple clones to keep the smell fresh. Or you can say, Jesse, you're stupid, and I hate you, and you're blonde. Really? You're seriously blonde at this point in time? And it's, it's going to hurt my feelings. I'll probably end up in the cold shower crying over it, but whatever it happens sometimes... And, uh, you know, if you don't want to do that, that's 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 absolutely fine. You can just do none of that and just leave a comment, and uh, we'll all be fine. So we didn't get any comments like that, but we did get uh, seven different comments that I'd like to go through real quick. 
Starting off with Mr. Maug doing a double header, a double hitter, double header. Uh, he says, I'm going to admit that I've uh, actually played zombies in Spaceland on Call of Duty Infinite Warfare way more than I did Black Ops 3 zombies. I was really surprised how fun it was, and it justified my big spending of getting the Infinite Warfare Call of Duty 4 remaster bundle. Yeah, I mean, yeah, zombies in Spaceland is good shit, man. Shout out to it. Um, Black Ops 3 zombies... I think that first map is overrated, but every map after that first map, I think is, eh, is better. It just feels, that's the problem. It's like Infinite Warfare, something about it, the gunplay just feels a little off. It feels better in Black Ops. That's the thing I can't get over. But yes, Zombies in Spaceland, Infinite Warfare has really good maps. Very, very good maps. Uh, you also said, I'm surprised that most people were disappointed by the PlayStation Showcase considering uh, the bias most people have towards PlayStation. For me, I'm just upset there was no Spider-Man-themed console. Uh, we talked about that. That's apparently what that PS5 Pro was supposed to be. But yeah, nowhere to be seen. Uh, I'm shocked, too, that there was so much hate against the Project Q device. I think it looks really cool, and I'm curious whether or not it's uh, only got remote player if it's like an Android tablet with a Logitech G Cloud. No, so from what we understand, from what the rumors say, is it is it is just a cloud device it is just a um a uh, what is it a remote play device there's no there's no graphics or anything in it it's not an android device it's literally just a wireless card in a battery powered lcd display that can connect to the internet and stream games from your ps5 to your little device so that's that that's what the rumor suggests and uh that's what people have been saying so honestly i think it's a really cool device i think it's lame that people are hating on it if it's not for you fuck off don't buy it uh, but I think I think it's a cool device. I think Xbox should consider making, if not something just like this, at least something you know in this in this vein. Just to you got Game Pass, man. You got cloud gaming. Like you should be the one making this before PlayStation. But yeah, I, I, I like the idea. I always love cool ideas like this. This is why I was a fan of Nintendo for so long. Is because I'm always championing on the person who's gonna who's gonna who's gonna create something new and different, whether it works or not, whether it's gimmicky or not. I don't care. I, I just think new and cool shit is new and cool. So. I'm a fan. OG man writes in and says, "Shout out to Anthony Bourdain, and also Jesse. I'm I'm with uh I'm with Infinite Warfare what, being a great campaign. People forget half the reason the game gets so much hate is because originally you had to buy an eighty dollar version of to play Call of Duty Four Remaster. Everyone was just on Call of Duty Four Remaster. Infinite Warfare was just a newer Black Ops Three. People were just over the jetpack at the time, so people hated it. Then World War Two came out, and everyone said go back to jetpacks. And then we got Black Ops Four. No, you're you're right. I do remember that sentiment being thrown around, even though I wasn't playing Call of Duty at the time for sure. Um, yeah, you had to buy like the deluxe edition, and it came with a Call of Duty Four Modern Warfare Remaster. And everyone was just like, fuck it, get that so we can play Modern Warfare Remastered. Yeah, I, I, that's what I got was the deluxe edition that came with both because it was on sale for like 30 bucks. And I, I got to be honest, man, I played like two seconds of Modern Warfare Remastered. I was like, I love this game. I'm nostalgic for this game. But this is one of those games I don't feel like I ever have to go back to. Call of Duty Modern Warfare OG 2007. I don't feel like I ever need to go back to that game. Like trying to play through it again, I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I enjoyed the hell out of this back in the day. I, I don't know, man. I, I think I... I get it. People like nostalgia. They like reliving that shit, and it's it's cool. It's a good remaster, but man, I, the new quality, the new shiny, never before experienced game, along with a little bonus remaster of a game you played a million times, and everyone went for that. But yeah, man, I I agree. The campaign campaign's good shit. Certainly a little underappreciated. Although I I really don't like Infinite Warfare's multiplayer. I'm not going to defend that. I think it's terrible. And honestly, I like Black Ops Four. I'll, I'll say it. Going back and playing all those Call of Duties I missed during that era. I, I'm gonna be honest. My my takeaway was, <clears throat> I, well, I, I played Advanced Warfare when it first came out. That was the last Call of Duty I bought. I, bu I bought it. I played the campaign, thought it was okay. Didn't play the zombies or the multiplayer, didn't care. But I skipped Black Ops 3, 
My retroactive opinion is zombies were good. The rest of the game sucks. I skipped Infinite Warfare. My opinion is the campaign's got some really cool ideas and the zombies are pretty good. Uh, multiplayer sucks. I skipped World War II and then when I came back to it, my opinion was campaign is boring. Zombies are uninspired. Multiplayer is boring and basic. I hate this game. And then I went back and played Black Ops 4. I gotta be honest, Black Ops 4 is pretty good. Zombies, great. No multiplayer. That's a letdown, but the zombies were great. The multiplayer is really cool. I like the operator class-based system and that they took out the jetpack and the wall running. Uh, I, I actually think Black Ops 4 feels really good. And honestly, Blackout, the Battle Royale mode, Blackout is way better than Warzone. So I'll take I'll take Black Ops 4. I think Black Ops 4 is a complete package. No campaign, yes, but the Battle Royale was good. The multiplayer was good. The zombies were good. It was a complete package. It's really good value for 60 bucks. I'm going to go ahead and put myself firmly in the camp that Black Ops 4 is underappreciated. Uh, Blackout is underappreciated. That game deserved some more love and respect. I'm just, I don't know. That's just how I feel about it. But yeah, thanks for writing, OG Man. I always appreciate the Call of Duty commentary since I always feel insecure talking about Call of Duty. I just feel like everyone's in the audience like, oh, please shut up. Don't talk about Call of Duty. So appreciate you uh, humoring me, you guys, by uh, by writing in about it. All right. Kronky has some predictions. So no, we're going to skip that one. Actually, we don't have eight comments. We, or seven comments. We have less. Uh, BP Fatio, Fatio, I don't know, wrote in and says, Going out on a limb and predicting... Oh, wait, no, that's about predictions. I'm sorry. We'll skip that one. Uh, Jonathan, thank you for writing in. We'll save yours for next week since the prediction. Man, I fucked up. The rest of the comments are all predictions. <laughs> I should have organized that better. That's that's on me, you guys. I'm sorry. Well, hey, as a bonus, as something, just so you're not left completely blue-balled here. We don't have any more comments that aren't predictions. So, you know, we'll save all those predictions for next week. But uh, because... You know, I made it seem like we're going to have one more comment at least to go through. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to read to you one more of these hate comments that someone wrote in because these are fucking funny. All right. <laughs> Here's a little uh, the little cherry on top for this week. A little short on comments because we had to save most of these for next week's prediction showcase. So, again, I'm going to ask one more time. Leave a comment with your predictions as to what you think might happen at the Xbox showcase on June 11th. You can get realistic uh, 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 predictions, completely humorous, goofy ones, whatever you want to say. It'll uh, just be fun to read. I'll go through mine next week, and then you guys can write them with yours, and we'll read them on the show. But I'll, I'll end you with this one. We got a really funny, obviously, just nobody who absolutely does not listen to this podcast has never heard a goddamn second of it. They just saw the thumbnail and the title and then left a nasty comment because they're just being an asshole but very funny comment the less so we'll read it it says uh black cauldron writes in and says why don't you save yourself any more heartache and just get a ps5 and just get a huge vast library of elite games question mark like why so much loyalty to a company that doesn't clearly compare uh, Black Cauldron, I appreciate your comment. I appreciate you looking out for my best interest and in, in, in sharing that information. Um, see, the thing is, uh, I, I absolutely would get a PS5, but I'm, I'm scared. I'm afraid that if I go into a Walmart or a Best Buy and I try to purchase a PS5, they might ask to see my G card, my gamer card. And once they run it, they might see, you know, all the call of duty and crossfire i've played and they might reject me they might tell me i'm not a real gamer and then i would just be absolutely crushed i'd be nothing i'd be just an absolute wilt of a human being a sorry sack of an excuse of a heartbeat of a fucking shell of a husk of a man and i'd just be i'd be sitting there on the fucking floor of this retail establishment going i'm not worthy i'm not worthy and people would walk over me and these little kids would say mommy why is that man crying on the floor and she'd say that's not a real gamer son don't look at him and i just I, i'm gonna be honest with you so that's why i buy the xbox they don't do the background check on xbox they don't do the the gamer card track that I know is just as long as you got money, they don't give a shit who buys it. They'll, they'll sell one to Osama bin Laden if you fucking want, but 
not the PlayStation. They do the G card check. And so that's the honest to God truth. I want the elite games. I want the superior library. I want the superior platform, but I have so much loyalty to Xbox and to Microsoft because I just, I'm just afraid. So black Holdren, thank you for writing in everyone else. Thank you for writing in. Thank you for listening. Be kind to one another. If you're going to post funny, mean comments, you can direct them towards me, but don't be mean to one another. And uh, yeah, until next week, I'm really looking forward to next week's show, man. Really excited to read your predictions, go through them, go over my predictions. I've wrote some really fun ones the other day that I, I, I really wanted to go over this week. So I'm very much excited for next week now. And then after next week, we'll, we'll do our predictions. And then just a few short days, Sunday, June 11th, the big showcase. Man, I'm so excited to see Fable running an engine. Finally, I just want to see what this game looks like. Hopefully we see Perfect Dark. I'm really curious to see that game. And uh, I'll be streaming it on twitch.tv slash lightning extreme. So, yeah, um, Sunday, June 11th. I'll go over all the times and everything next week. But if you want to have a good time, watch the show together, jo- uh, joke in the chat, and post pictures of ourselves when we were in high school, maybe. I don't know. Maybe we want to get a little freaky. That's fine, too. Follow me on Twitch. But until next week, hope you're all well. Play games that make you happy. Fuck the noise. Eat some delicious food. Try that new steak and fries burrito at Taco Bell. And until then, power your dreams. Oh, and shout out to Yellow Card, my favorite band of all time. They just made a a comeback as of the day I'm recording this podcast. They released a new song, Childhood Eyes, fucking rocks. It's good to have you guys back. Love you all. Ryan, Ryan, Sean, and Josh, fucking awesome. So Yellow Card's back. Everything's good, baby. Power your dreams. (laughs) 